In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today's talk, at first, some of you might feel that it is unrelated to your everyday lives because I'll be reading some nice examples from the lives of saints to do with monks, ascetics, uh, recluses, those that went and lived on their own, and about how they got deceived, etc. And so... Some of you might find that it's unrelated because it's talking about monks and new people live in the world or are married, so therefore what's that got to do with us? However, with God's help, today's talk is important because I'm going to attempt to explain about deception and dreams and visions, etc., which will then put us in a better position when we do some talks in the future, which will be soon, this year, God willing, which will be on UFOs, charismatic movement and other types of all these miracles that occur in other religions. We need this background to understand that. So when I was doing the talk about the soul after death and I was speaking there about how the devil can appear and things like that, we did that but it would have been better if I actually first did this. So let's look at this. I think you'll find it interesting and I'll try to relate it to our everyday lives. I'll read the first example and it's from the life of Elder Arsenios, a spiritual child of Elder Joseph of Manathos. Elder Joseph, as we know, is one of the greatest ascetics of the last century. He died, I think, if I remember right, in the 50s. And he left behind spiritual children. One of them was with the, with the same name, another Elder Joseph, who was the spiritual father of the monastery of Atopedi in Manathos. Elder Ephraim, which is still alive, who established all those monasteries in America and in Greece. And also Elder Haralambos, the abbot and elder of uh, the Nisiu Monastery. So we can see the fruits from this one person who went and lived as an ascetic in the desert of Mount Athos and what he produced. And you know that during his time, a lot of the other monks actually thought he was deceived. They used to say that he's deceived, that he doesn't talk to anyone, that he just lives on his own. But yet, from this, in inverted commas, deceived person, supposedly, so much has come out. Just, just Elder Ephraim, as I said, has produced 18 monasteries in Northern America and another 12 or so in Greece. And they have renewed orthodoxy, th these individuals. Of course, others as well, but this is all from Elder Joseph. Anyway, so Elder Arsenios was not a priest, he was a monk, and he was a spiritual child of Elder Joseph. So he's relating this story. It's from his book up, up the back there that we have. It says, Someone else from another brotherhood came to monasticism with a lot of zeal. So Elder Arsenio is saying 
that someone came from another brotherhood who initially had a lot of zeal. He became a disciple of a tough elder and struggled a lot in the beginning. So this young man wanted to find a strict elder. Sometimes we say, I want to find a strict spiritual father or I want to find a spiritual father who does everything perfect. But the problem there is that we shouldn't really be looking for a strict spiritual father, but we should be looking for a spiritual father who has the gift of discernment. And that gift is very rare. A spiritual father who has the gift of discernment knows what to do for different situations and even situations that, ha that are not covered in the canons. So, for example, if someone has an abortion, there is a canon for that. If someone commits adultery, there's, an, there's a canon for that. But if someone wants to know whether he should marry that person or that person, there's no canons. If someone wants to know whether they should study in Europe or study here or not study at all, or whether someone should become a priest or not become a priest, there are some canons there, but still, it is difficult. And that's where we need the gift of discernment, which today is quite lacking. So he went and sought out a strict elder. Strict does not mean discerning. Maybe he was, but he was strict. He remained standing the whole night. This young man, he used to stand all night during the vigils. He would do many prostrations, the ones where you go on the ground up and down. He used to fast a lot. He was very obedient and he used to confess in the most honest and sincere way. That one, one can say that he was a perfect disciple. How many of us in the world when we begin spiritual life, when we come back to orthodoxy, either through um, we were born orthodox, baptised young, but then later on we fell away and then we come back, or there are those who are converts who were never orthodox or some other religion and they come to orthodoxy. And it's a well-known fact that pretty much everyone has this zeal in the beginning. But after two or three years, he ceased off. He didn't keep it up. Which then opened the doors for the devil to tempt him. Now, the Holy Fathers always say, I prefer someone who does a little bit and constant rather than someone who does a lot in the beginning and then just fizzles out. So always be careful. We have to have discernment and especially the priests in the world who confess people. For me personally, I'm always very careful when I see someone who's got zeal to see whether the zeal comes from their pride or does it come from true spiritual struggle. In general, I'll say it as a rule, newcomers always want to do more than anyone. If you fast Wednesday and Friday, they'll say, oh, I want to fast on Monday like the monks. And there's many other things which I'll go into later on. After a while, his mind became muddled when praying, which is a sign that something was not going right. He's, he's, he used to get mixed up. He would sit, then fall asleep. Before, as it says, he could stay up all night, standing, praying, during vigils. 
But now he would fall asleep. When he woke in the morning, he felt so tired that he would fall back to sleep. Remember last month I said to you that um, monks and nuns who are struggling, one of the main things that the devil uses is sleep. And of course, a lot of you know that trying to keep to your prayer rules, trying to wake up in the morning, etc., is excruciating. And a lot of people, as I said, they have that zeal in the beginning, but after a while, from what I've seen from people that I speak to, uh, they fizzle out so badly that they just stop praying altogether. And as St. Ignatius Branchinov says, whoever doesn't pray has denied his salvation. It's, that's a very, very serious uh, thing for him to say. He actually says, someone who doesn't pray, they, it's like they're saying, I don't want to be saved. As if that wasn't enough, he also was attacked fiercely by the demon of fornication. So he also had sexual temptations. It doesn't mean that if someone is being attacked by a sexual passion that it means necessarily that they've gone off, depends on their, on their background, depends on their past life, not reincarnated life, we don't believe in that, back in their, whether, during their worldly life, whether they used to fall or not fall, there's all these things, but they could be struggling and the devil's attacking. However, we will see during this talk that this particular demon of fornication will, we will see quite a bit, I'll, I'll, I'll wait a bit. At the same time, this brought on despair that in his state he would certainly be condemned. Now that's what the devil, that's what the enemy wants. That's the whole purpose. He doesn't care if you start off with a lot of zeal. Read, pray, fast. Go to confession often, go and commune often. I've said this in all my talks, and this is, this is what I'm trying to say. He doesn't mind that. It doesn't bother him. Now, who can tell me why it doesn't bother him? Yes. Because you're sneaking down the track that they're going to back off, slack off. Um, a, bit, a bit more detail, sorry. Or just that they still won't last. That's, that's a point. But certain other people who start off with zeal, he does attack. So there's something, there's a difference. You've got person A and person B. Person A, is a st he starts off, he's struggling, he gets attacked. The other person doesn't and he's just doing everything easily in the beginning. There's something there. What do you think it is? Pride. Person B is actually struggling with pride and that's what he wants. So the demon does says, that's good, let him do it. After he becomes more and more proud, then I'll smash him down, and then we'll see as he says here. So at the same time, this brought on despair, that in his state he would certainly be condemned. In other words, he thought to himself, I'm going to go to hell now. However, the most frightful thing was that he felt embarrassed and would not confess. Now this is a very key point. This is a key point. In the beginning, we often think that we are impressing the spiritual father of those of you who go. We like to present ourselves as being good Christians, Christians who pray, Christians who fast. 
We think that after we confess, which comes from inexperience and stupidity, we think that the spiritual father, that he thinks about us and says, oh, how great that person is that he's going well or she's going well. But yet, this is all a trick. For personally, for me, if I see someone going well, I get um, alarm bells. I prefer someone who comes up and says, I've got hate and I've got jealousy and I've got horrible pride and I've got, I, I want to get back at that person and that person didn't say hello to me and I got really, I like that person. See? And you might say, how can you like that person? You must be a bad priest. Perhaps, but we'll see as we go on. Am I a bad priest or am I doing the right thing? Or am I looking at it correctly? And that's what happens a lot of times is that once the devil's made us think that we're really good, really good, really good, and that our spiritual father is impressed with us, we later on become embarrassed to go and tell him when we have fallen into something serious. Because how can I tell him now? See, this is all from pride. And this is what happened to this poor individual. He actually had a pride. So he obviously thought to himself that his spiritual father was happy with him. And then later on, he fell into this, into this state and he had the sexual business as well. And that caused him to say, I can't confess this, I'm embarrassed. The devil told him, through his thoughts, you wretch, you were able to do so many vigils. You were able to do so many prostrations. You had tears. You, had, you used to struggle so much. Now... What will your elder say if he hears about the state you're in and especially your battle with fornication, that's a good one, see, especially the sin, the sexual sin that you're going through, not necessarily that he's fallen, just the fact that he's got thoughts, you will surely be expelled. He'll chuck, he'll throw you out of the, um, the brotherhood. That's the point. That's what happens to all of us. Why don't you leave on your own accord? The disciple thought, but I still have to find some excuse to leave. What will I do? So, the, so the, the, the monk believed it. He believed the thoughts that the devil put in him. And he says, there's no point. I'll leave. That way I won't have to open up what's in me. See how demonic that is? And how many people say, I'm going to leave my spiritual father now because um, we find some excuse. Maybe he burped. Maybe we caught him picking his nose one day as if he's not human. Maybe something, some, we find some excuse. Oh, he's rude. Oh, how many people say, oh, I can't be with you anymore. I go, why? Um, because you're rude. But really, I say, don't you think that there's something maybe behind, there's something behind the scenes that's making you to want to leave? Not the fact that, whatever reason, but there's something else behind the scene. And if he's honest and sincere, they will admit it, that there's something else. And usually what it is, is that they've got something that they're hiding. It seemed that God had pity on him and gave him the thought. Now we go on. When someone has a good disposition, that means that his soul is good, but it's been deceived or it's just gone off. And there's other souls that are rotten. Now, which ones are rotten, which ones are not, I don't know. But in this case, this particular person 
he had something there. And then he had a thought given to him from his guardian angel, his saint. Why don't you go to Father Arsenios and tell him your thoughts? Now remember, Father Arsenios was not the spiritual father. I'm assuming from here, I'm assuming the spiritual father was Elder Joseph. Elder Father Arsenios was only a monk. He was not the spiritual father. Not that monks can't be spiritual fathers, but in this case, he was... Father Arsenius was a disciple of Elder Joseph. This young man would go to Elder Joseph for guidance, but the devil blocked him. But God had pity on him and saw that his deception came out of what's called, what I call innocent pride. There's diabolical pride and there's innocent pride. We all have deception, all of us. We all fall into deception constantly through our struggles, through our silliness, through our inexperience. The devil's tricking us continually. That's one level, but there's also another level where a person purposely goes into deception, like out of their real deep ego and pride, which will come to as time goes on with others. So his guardian angel put the thought... And remember one other thing, sorry that his spiritual father was Elder Joseph. In other words, his spiritual father was one of the holiest people on Mount Athos at the time, but yet he couldn't go. And that's why when people would say for example, to me, they'd say, oh, I can't confess, say years ago, I can't confess anymore, this and that, because you've got faults or you've, you, know, you said this or whatever. I say to them that even if I was the holiest of the holy, you still wouldn't be able to do it because of your pride. And here we see the example. He couldn't even go to the holiest person. So, anyway, he had some good thing. He was deceived innocently, one can say. He, you know. So the monk, the, the monk uh, came to his head. Uh, the monk came to me, says Elder Senos, Father Senos, with his head bowed in shame and managed to say everything with a lot of effort, including his battle with fornication, the sexual passion. But he was really ashamed. See, as the fathers say, when we're going to commit a sin, we have no shame and we fall. After we've committed it, all of a sudden we've got shame to go and confess. See, that's the trick. When beforehand, it's easy to go and fall as a lot of people, we all, uh, people are doing today. But the problem is, after it's done, we're ashamed. So there's kind of a, a bit of a problem there, which is obviously a deception. He thought through his inexperience that I would be offended, that I would be um, scandalised. Father Senor says he th that the monk, the young monk, thought that when he opens himself up to Father Asenius, the Father is going to go, oh, how horrible. However, Elder Asenius says, I knew from experience the, the tricks of the devil, and so I hugged him and said, well done, my child, I knew you to be a struggler and that Christ loves you. And then the young monk says, me, Elder? Yes, you. To prove it, I want you to tell me sincerely, when you were struggling hard, 
and had no attacks from the demons, how did you think about yourself? See, that's, that's important. When you were struggling hard, Father Samuel says, and you weren't being attacked. See the difference? That's what I'm saying. He was struggling hard, but he wasn't being attacked. How did you think about yourself? And then the young monk says, Elder, I was a small saint. He thought that he was a saint. But now I'm the worst of all because of all these things that's happened to him. And when he's saying it, he's not saying it like the last month when I said about the worm and that we, we all like to do what's in Greek called tapinoloia, which means humble words. I'm the worst. I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm bad. People write letters and then they sign at the end. They say, you know, from John, a sinner, you know, etc. So usually as a joke, I ring up and I might say, can I speak to John Sinner? They go, no, my name's not John Sinner, it's John Papadopoulos or something. And I go, oh, so I thought that was your surname, John Sinner. But the thing is here that Elder Ephraim, the spiritual father of Arizona there and of all the other monasteries, he calls this experiential humility. It means humility which comes from experience. It comes from true experience of our sins, our falls, in other words, of seeing what's in ourselves. That's true humility. That's the correct humility. Any other humility with words and things like that, that's not true humility. Humility comes through experiencing one's sins, through struggling, through falling, through temptations, through sicknesses, through afflictions, through seeing how weak we are. If we're drinking too much, we see how weak we are. If we are, you know, doing other bad things, whatever it is. If we keep on falling into anger, if we keep on falling into jealousy, if we keep on falling into uh, revenge, if we keep on having judgmental thoughts about people and we're trying to stop, trying to stop, not just having them there, but trying to stop, what happens is that we begin to say, I'm weak. It's funny, as I've said before, that those AAs and Alcoholics Anonymous and gamblers and all those people, that they have very similar rules to the Orthodox. They say we have to believe in a supreme being. Interesting. And that the person has to acknowledge that they can't stop. And the person has to acknowledge that this supreme being is going to help them to stop, etc. And through that, a lot of them stop drinking or whatever else they do. And there's also, there's also, um, there's, there's alcoholics anonymous, there's gamblers anonymous, there's sex anonymous because they also have sex addictions now. There's so many things that people are addicted to. We've been freed from the church. People say, we're free, we're free from the church. The church is repressive. The church used to make us guilty. The church didn't let us do what we want, a lot of people would say. And I would say back, well, you're free now because the church does not have much influence, hence the number of people here. The church does not have much influence anymore as it used to in the past because now we have the new church, which is the TV and the pop stars and the singers and the actors and the operas and all these other people around. They are all the new church. 
and they say, oh, we're free, we're free, we're free of the church, we're free of God, we're free of all the Bible and the rules. But yet we see that people's passions are at the highest. All the time, that's all you hear about, you read in magazines or you see on TV or whatever is existent today in the paper. It's always people that are going through rehab, people that are gamblers, people that are, look at that guy, the, the, um, the golf fellow, Tiger Woods, and the Mel Gibson person, that he was a womanizer. All passions, passions that people can't stop. And that shows that perhaps these people have to relook and say, was the church repressive or was the church helpful so as not to have this catastrophe of what's going on today? So, however, I knew from experience the wiles the devil, so I hugged him and said, well done. Uh, yeah, so that's called experiential, uh, if, I, if, if I'm saying it correct, humility. Humility that comes from experience. And it can only come from experience to those who are struggling. Now, I know people who would say, oh, I've got, I've got pride, I've got pride, or I've got um, hate. And they say it like that, oh, I've got hate. But see, the way they're saying it, it means that they're not struggling against it. So someone can acknowledge that they've got a problem. But acknowledge that they've got a pro acknowledging they've got a problem is not is not the same as when you acknowledge it and then you start to struggle against it, and that's the trouble today. A lot of Orthodox Christians are not struggling, which I've said in other talks, against their passion. When you start struggling against the passion, that's where we learn humility. That's when we really begin to see our weakness, and that's when the demons fight as well. And through all that we start to begin to say, I'm the worst or I'm really bad, and we mean it, and we're not actually just saying it to be uh, with words to pretend that we're humble. So this person, he meant it. Elder, I was a small saint then, but now I'm the worst of all. And then Father Samuel says to him, well done, may you be blessed. That's where I got that thing about that um, when someone comes... I rather hear their passions, their sins, etc. I'm not interested in how good they are or how good they think they are. He's, now the elder says, now you are speaking correctly. And the elder continues and says, all our struggles and efforts have to make us humble in the end. Now that's very important. I read that, I've been reading that lately. And Elder Paisio said it and Elder Ephraim said it. And St. John of the Latter says it. It says that when we struggle with fasting, with prayer, whatever we do in the spiritual life has one purpose. To give us humility and repentance. That's the purpose. Do we think of that? No. We think to ourselves that we struggle so that we can become holy. Which is obviously the purpose. But we're forgetting that we can't become holy unless we go through humility and repentance. People forget that. They want to go to the top, like everything else today. When we fast, we are fasting to get strength, but also to attain humility and repentance. A lot of people say, I'm struggling so that, that God can give me gifts. 
The charismatics, for example, they say, I pray so that God can give me the gift of tongues or that I can do miracles. That's not orthodoxy. See, in orthodoxy, that's why not many people come to orthodoxy. In orthodoxy, we struggle so that we can get humility and repentance. Through that, one becomes holy. Same friend, well, as they call it, same friends of Assisi, but not that, as the Catholics call him saint. And other of their particular saints, there's something that's characteristic in them that they all uh, struggle with a purpose of attaining gifts. And there's not much mention there about repentance and humility. It's like they struggle. Have you seen those things at the carnivals where these big men want to prove themselves and they hit with, the, with that big hammer and it goes dung up the top and, um, and they think that everyone's going to look at them? So that's what happens in the spiritual life. It's like, bang, we go from there to there, straight away. And we even hear a bell at the end to show that we've reached a high level. But we don't know that that does not work like that. That's like building a house with a roof first, without any foundations. You see, you hear those earthquakes where things, they say, oh, the, the people just got killed because they built those buildings over there without proper foundations. You need foundations, deep foundations. Spiritual life cannot be built without foundations, and the foundations are repentance and humility. If you haven't got it, then there's something wrong with us. That's what we should always look at. That's what St. John of the Ladder said. If you want to see if you've progressed, I don't know, sorry, Elder Ephraim, I think, said it. If you want to see if you're progressing, look to see if you've got repentance and humility. If you've got it, then you're on the right track. If you haven't got it, then you pray because you're in danger. So you were never a saint, but the grace of God protected you and you thought that your state was your own. So it's not the fact that God does not help us in the beginning. To some degree, a lot of it's from our own pride. But of course, I've always said that when someone comes to the church in the beginning, they do find reading easy and they do find doing prayers easier. And this is God's gift. But it's just that we believe, where we start going off, is that we believe that it's from us. And that's where then God has to take the grace away because it's becoming dangerous for us. That's why grace left you, to make you realise who you are. However, grace will return with confession. As soon as the person acknowledges that they fell in deception, as soon as the person acknowledges that they are proud, etc., etc., they run to confession with repentance and then things go better. In the future... He says, never be embarrassed to confess everything to your elder and always firmly keep the thought that I am nothing. So how does that apply to us? Well, we just change the words a bit. It says, um, in the future, never be embarrassed to confess to your spiritual father everything to your spiritual father and always firmly keep the thought that I am nothing. 
don't have this thing that the spiritual father will if he's a true spiritual father because there's and there's not there's you know there's people who care for your soul and unfortunately there's people who don't care for your soul would you go to a doctor would you go to the doctor that was a queensland that was amputating everyone's legs and things like that and then after a while people found out that he was a butcher so it's the same as with spiritual fathers if the spiritual father does not care for your soul then really what's the purpose so what do you do in a doctor's case you go and find a good doctor if your child's sick you're not going to go and find any doctor you find a doctor which you've heard has a good reputation a doctor that cares a doctor that's got skills that's the same with a spiritual father go find someone who cares for your soul he may not be a clairvoyant elder that's not important the main thing is that he cares for your soul. And when you do find someone that cares for your soul, don't be embarrassed to open up. The spiritual father doesn't want to hear that you're good. And point of fact, of fact, either does God want to know that? That's why it says in the Old Testament there somewhere, it says, son, meaning this is God speaking, son, give me your heart, give me your sins. That's what God wants from us. He wants our sins. He wants us to offer our sins to him so that he can forgive them. And that's where we get mixed up because we think that the spiritual fathers will, 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 will say, oh, he's not a good person anymore. Uh, whatever good I have, it is from God through the prayers of my elder, he's saying to this young man. And the same with us. We say, whatever good we have comes from God and comes through the prayers of our spiritual father. As I say, a, spirit, a, a true spiritual father is one who prays daily for his spiritual children. And I do mean that has to be praying continually for his spiritual children, just like parents need to pray for their children. If they love their children, they should be praying for their children Every day, people come to me and say, oh, can you pray for my children? Have you prayed? No, they say. Well, you haven't prayed, neither will I. First, you must pray. And how many people we see today, well, that I come across, who don't pray for their children? That's not the right thing. So as parents, you should be praying for your children. And the spiritual father should be praying continually for his spiritual children. Actually, the Holy Fathers say that the relationship of spiritual father with spiritual children is above parents with their children. The parents with their children, it's called what's called a fleshly um, relationship. But above that is the spiritual relationship. And in the middle, by the way, is a godparent with the godchild. The Holy Fathers say that the relationship of a godparent with the godchild is above the relationship of that same child with its real parents, with its biological parents. Because the spiritual is higher than the physical. Whatever good I have is from this. Uh, if grace deserts me, if grace leaves me, I will immediately fall again. 
From then on, the monk confessed to his elder and to this day struggles with a lot of eagerness. Once he learnt that, this young monk, he learnt the trick that the devil uses, he gained experience from it and he says, oh, that's not going to happen. Now I know that for me to progress, I have to open up. I remember when I was young, before I became a priest, and I was on a, some island in, at a monastery there. I think I've said this story before. And uh, there was a monk there. We were talking and um, I expressed to him in a judgmental way about people that go to discos or something like that. I was being judgmental in my inexperience and, uh, and pride. And he said to me, he said to me, look, he said, you see me, with, you see me wearing my black. Because if Grace was to leave me, I would be on the disco floor now. And what he's trying to say, and it just really astounded me. I said, well, you know, this person who prays all the time, communes often, and he was quite a spiritual person, and he taught me that even when we don't sin, it's from God's grace. And that's why in the publican and Pharisee parable, the Pharisee didn't get condemned when he said, I thank you that I'm not a fornicator or whatever, whatever, whatever. That wasn't the problem. That's okay. We can thank God because I thank you, God, that I'm not an alcoholic or I don't do, you know, I'm faithful to my wife, for example, if you're married, or faithful to my husband, or, 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 and I haven't fallen or done this or done that. That's not the problem. The problem was the next step that the Pharisee went when he said, like him over there. So when we start to compare ourselves with others, we fall into judgment, we'll lose grace. We just look at ourselves. And that's the example that I learned from that, that it's from God's grace if we do anything. So that's the first level. The first level was temptations through the thoughts, which is what most lay people experience. The next temptation is a bit different, a bit more progressed. There was a young monk who was in charge of lighting, as we call in Greek the candilla, the, the, um, the oil lamps, lambadas, I think the, the, the Slavonics say. We'll call them oil lamps. So this young monk, he was in charge of lighting the oil lamps at his monastery or, whatever, or his, maybe it was a, a little, um, little house. You know, they've got little houses everywhere in Manathos as well as monasteries. The devil said to himself, Ah, this Father Ignatius, this is a, a, um, a famous elder that lived in the last century. He goes, Ah, oh, this Father Ignatius, how many schemes he has destroyed. Meaning, I've set all these traps for monks and he keeps on destroying those traps. And the devil doesn't like that. See, the devil doesn't do anything openly. It's very rare. He never does anything open. doesn't make himself appear as he is. doesn't attack openly, as, as I said. That's really rare. He's always tricky, slimy, always prowling around, always setting up tricks. That's how he works. And that's why he says, how many schemes has he destroyed? Schemes. Traps. He infuriates me. Therefore, it's absolutely necessary that he hear nothing about what I'm going to whisper in his disciples' ear. This young man that was lighting the um, oil lamps was a spiritual child of this of the uh, elder Ignatius, and 
I'm going to persuade him that there's no reason for him to speak to his elder. Again, what is that showing? Don't speak to the spiritual father. The first example was that, and the second example is the same thing. If you don't learn much from today, learn that, all of us, I have to go and confess too. So therefore, when I go and confess, I have the same temptations. Don't say this, don't say that. But you have to force yourself. All of us go through it. Even the saints would go through it. We have to struggle with that particular temptation, whatever you call it there. And it's the worst one. It's very, very difficult. And I will say with a very painful heart that I have experienced many people who were lost because they hid things. And I've seen that, and we're going to see that if you um, read Lives of Saints, how many people were lost because they just couldn't open up. And we just remember one thing. Whenever we say, I can't open up, or it's hard for me to open up, or it's, you know... It all comes from one thing, which is what? Pride. That's it. And what's the devil? Proud. And because he's proud, he becomes close to us when we are also proud. He communicates with us. He influences us. The more proud we are, the more power he's got. That's why it said in the beginning on the, on the previous one, he said that the, that the doors opened up for the devil to tempt that young monk because he had fallen into pride because of his ascetical things. He was doing all the fasting and praying, things like that. And that's why the father say, stop, do a little bit. Little bit, nothing extraordinary. If everyone in the church is standing, then Stand. But you see people kneeling down in the church and doing a whole, a whole, I don't know, what, what do you call it? Like a, as if they're at the um, Her Majesty's Theatre or something, doing some type of drama and doing things that are out of the ordinary of what everyone else is doing. We fast Wednesdays and Fridays, fast Wednesdays and Fridays. Not... Monday, and this day, and that day, etc. Because as Elder Macarius says, which we're going to read later on, Elder Macarius of Optina says, don't do anything outside of the ordinary, because that will lead you to pride. How many people see visions? A few, some saints, maybe. That's about it. But all of a sudden, people come up and say, and I saw this vision, that vision, that what are you? It's just, you just don't understand. You do a talk and you say to people, you might go on and on and go, dreams are bad, that's bad, that's bad. And then lo and behold, at the end of the talk, someone will come up to say about the dream that they saw. So we have to be very, very careful of these things. So let's go on. Uh, I will whisper in his ear, persuading him that there's no reason to tell anything to the elder. To do this, I must darken his soul. Wonderful words. I mean, horrible words, but wonderful for us to be enlightened. 
the devil says, I must darken his soul. And how does he do that? Does the devil go in and turn off a light? How does he actually darken one's soul? It wasn't even meant to be a joke. It was what I'm trying to say is that people have to understand the spiritual life. How does he darken the soul? I'm, I'm going to say it in the next line. You ready? Or, sorry, the devil will say in the next line. I must make him proud. How? Very easily. I will praise him. I will keep on praising him. I will remind him of the sacrifices that he made, that he abandoned the world, that he left the world to become a monk. He left his parents. What a great thing that you had the power to leave your parents, is going to say, and you left your studies and you, um, and you're a, you, know, you live as a hermit now, like together with your elder there, and you're clever, and he's going to say to him all his virtues, real and non-existent. That's really important. What does that mean? He's going to tell him all his virtues, real and non-existent, meaning the real ones, if he's got any, and the ones that he hasn't got, but he'll just make it up and say, you've got it. And when we're proud, we believe it. His gifts and advantages. Maybe I can find some monk. This is um, quite a powerful part. This is now the demon speaking. And that's why the fathers of the church write these. They want us to know. They want us to know these things so that we are careful. And look, look what he says. I will find some other monk, one of my own, who will weave the crown of praise for him. All will be well. In other words, he's saying, I will find another monk, a demonic monk, a monk who's close to me, a proud monk, who will come and praise him. And it's true. I remember once this woman who was a very proud woman and I was at a house and there was a young man there, 18, 19, I can't remember, 20 maybe, a young man. And uh, this woman loved to be praised, she was a very, very proud woman. And she said, in front of this young man, your face is as bright as an angel. That is the worst thing you can do to a Christian. Actually, one father said, I think I read it, one, other, one father told me, Manathos, when you praise someone, it's like you're throwing the devil in their face and saying, fight, now go and fight him. Because it's so hard to get it out of our minds. You might say, oh, well, I'm not going to believe it. But we do believe things like that. So you run away from people who praise you. Actually, the father say, stay close to those that put you down. Isn't that against what the world says? The world says that your friends are those who praise you and your friends are not the ones who say bad about you. But the church fathers say different. They say your friends are the ones who put you down because they'll teach you humility. The ones that praise you are pushing you to hell. See? Contrary. It's just um, the spiritual life it doesn't, doesn't go through the normal ways of the world. What happens when someone puts us down? How, what happens? Do you know? Our friend there? Vladimir. What happens when someone, when someone puts you down? 
Do you like it? No, you feel negative and depressed and you're upset and maybe mm -hmm. angry. Mm -hmm. you're defensive. I got a good description. I got a good I got a good description. It's like someone gets a big knife and shoves it in your heart. It can be that painful. Anyone here that doesn't feel that? Let us know so we can ask your prayers. Anyone? <laughs> no, no one. That's how it is. It's like, you know, the, the, the Japanese when they used to do their samurai swords in themselves when they used to commit suicide. Well, that's how it is. It is really painful. But when we feel that pain and that hate that we have for others because they put us down and everything else that goes on in us, if we are spiritual, if we're kind of progressing in the spiritual life, we begin to realise and say, the only reason I'm acting like this, the only reason I feel this is because I'm proud. And that's where God's given us the opportunity to see the pride. I remember one person came to me and said, Father, I don't know if I'm deceived, but when, someone, when, when I fall into a passion or a sin or someone puts me down and I react and things like that, I, I become, it, it's very painful. But I have a, like a bit of a joy as well. I go, what's the joy from? He goes, I feel in a way joyful because it shows what's in me, which otherwise I wouldn't see. It actually shows that I'm proud, that I'm a beast, that, I'm, that I, at times I'm like a devil. And that gives me some humility and it kind of makes me more sober. But when we don't see ourselves, when we're not leading a spiritual life and we don't really examine ourselves, we become angry and then we think that our anger against the other person is righteous anger. Or we don't even notice that we've got it. I know people that actually I say, don't you feel upset that that person put you down? He goes, no. No, and their faces are twisted. The enemy, uh, so he'll get one of the other monks to praise him. The enemy began to darken and cloud the monk's mind with the spirit of pride, which, which is through praising and things like that, through the devil praising him and through getting others to praise him. Then having prepared the ground, he went on with his plan. It was late at night and Father Neophytos, as was the name of the monk, he was sleeping and then the person who writes this and goes, and who knows, perhaps he was even having angelic dreams. A bit sarcastic, but meaning who knows. If the person's gone that off, they can start to build, you know, see dreams and things like that. But what was this? A gentle knock was heard on the door of his cell, of his room, which was, which was on the upper floor. And a sweet voice said to him, Arise, my child, go down to the church. My vigil light has gone out. It was a sweet voice, so he heard a knock. And he heard a voice. See, the first example was just all thoughts. The first, now we've gone a bit more progressed. This is, this is quite progressed now. He, he's hearing knockings at doors and, and voices and sweet ones at that. Arise, my child, go down to the church. My vigil light has gone out. My lambada, my candili, whatever you like to call it. Immediately, he leaped up and went anxiously down to the church where the vigil lamp of the Theotokos had indeed gone out. Full of emotion, he lit it prayed fervently and returned to his cell. And he said now, I've made progress. See, extraordinary. How many monks 
at Manathos get knocks at the doors and hear sweet voices, which probably he's going to think it's the mother of God, telling him, my child, go and light my lamp. Out of the ordinary. What does out of the ordinary things do? It makes us proud. Stay on the royal path. Stay the ordinary way. Don't look for something extraordinary. It just leads us to pride. No dreams, no visions, no smells, no noises, no singings, no, none, none of these things. Just ordinary spiritual life based on repentance. I've made progress, he thought. I have risen high. The mistress of heaven and earth has visited me and I heard her sweet angelic voice. I relit her extinguished lamp. How happy I feel. That's, how he, that's what he felt. Well, we see other saints that when someone would appear, like I've told you before a lot of times, the devil would appear as an angel or something like that, and then the, the monk would say to him, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Just go away. He goes, but I'm, I'm your angel. I'm not worthy. And sometimes even Christ himself truly appeared. And the monk would say, or the, the father would say, or the spiritual mother would say, um, I don't want to see you here. I want to see you in the next world, not here. But I'm Christ. I'm not interested. But he still wasn't sure whether it was real or not. He didn't care. So did God punish him for rejecting him? No. He actually gave him more grace because he was careful. Several times he heard in his mind a gentle, quiet voice that advised him to tell his elder about this incident. But he repelled the thought. Now this is important because a lot of times when we are fall into deception or when the devil's trying to plan something to make us fall into sin our guardian angel or our saint there's a little nagging at the back of us saying that's not right or better check with your spiritual father but we ignore a lot of times because of the pride the more a person progresses spiritually the more he becomes a bit more conscious of what's going on in him the darkened person doesn't really realize what's going on like him, he was darkened. And it says he um, several times, yeah, why should I tell the elder? Is it a sin to be confessed? See how the devil's smart? Is it a sin? It's not a sin. You heard. You heard a voice and you, you went and lit the, the, um, the, the oil lamp. How is that a sin? The devil, and as we know, when he battled with Christ, when he would... Um, when he was when Christ was on the holy on the mountain there for forty days, and he said, "Turn this bread into this and and fall down, and the angels will help you." And it was like a dialogue going on. And it was, and it was scripture. The devil was using scripture. The devil knows scripture, and he uses scripture, and he says, "But you know why is that bad?" And that that's not a sin. He quotes certain things from the Bible in his distorted way to make us believe it. So is it a sin? I tell you what's a sin. The sin is that his conscience told him to go and confess and he didn't. That's the worst sin. Why should I tell the elder? Is it a sin to be confessed? It's a holy incident and the more I keep it to myself, the more its wholeness will be preserved. Well, that's just a person who's really gone off the tracks. Thus he thought with such proud thoughts... The person who's writing the story says, with such proud thoughts, with such horrible demonic thoughts, how can Christ now help him when he's 
blocked off everything through his pride. The elder, however, was not asleep. He suspected something. You know that even spiritual fathers in the world that may not be clairvoyant elders and that, when they form a relationship, a very close relationship with their spiritual children, as I said before, when they're praying, just like mothers and fathers, you see mothers and fathers that pray for their, for their children and they often say, I just felt that there was something wrong. I felt there was something wrong. or They, they get this feeling because of the closeness. But that's even more, that's even more for a spiritual father with his spiritual children, that sometimes God enlightens to know that there's something wrong. Obviously, this one, in this example, the person was a holy elder. But don't be surprised that sometimes that spiritual fathers can be enlightened and say to someone, I remember one, once a priest said that he had a bad feeling about someone, one of his spiritual children, and he rang him up and said to him, uh, I can't remember the story, he rang him up and said to him, um, is there something wrong? Is there something not going right with you? He goes, no, no, not at all, not at all. He goes, did you go surfing on the internet into inappropriate sites? And he said, yes, I did. And do you care? He goes, no. So that person had become so hardened. But even though the spiritual father was enlightened and even knew specifically what he did, which is rare, but it happened, I think that for that person, that was his last chance. I think sometimes, as Elder Porfirio says, that sometimes God does something extraordinary, a little bit, you know, like not um, bells and smells and things, but I'm talking about something like that, something from the spiritual father, to waken up the person, but the person had gone so far off that he actually said, I don't even feel guilty. And I, and I asked to myself, didn't he even get surprised, didn't he get shocked? that a priest rang him up and even specifically said to him what it was, but I don't think it did. I don't think it moved him. That's what happens when we, when we um, aren't leading a sincere spiritual life. So who knows what happened to him. Um, so the elder, however, was not asleep. He suspected something. And then he went to the spiritual child and he said, Neophytos, my child, take care. You must... Tell me everything that happens in your spiritual life. The spiritual father knew that he was, something was going on and he knew that he was hiding. He goes, tell me everything. One day in confession, he compelled him to relate the whole affair in detail. The spiritual father made him. He said, and, and, it, and he proved to him that the whole beautiful fabric had been woven on the devil's loom. Loom is like an apparatus where women or men, they use them and they make material. And so, so it's like the devil's had a, it's like it's saying, it's a metaphor, that the devil was preparing the whole thing to destroy this person. What feelings prevailed in you when you lit the extinguished vigil lamp, he asked him. And he said, joy and thanksgiving that I was made worthy of such a blessing. Anything else, said the older. Yes, something else. I had a certain secret disturbance and uneasiness that I had not told you about it. Perhaps from what it looks like, he had gone off 
but not off to the point of no return. In the case of the person that I said before about the telephone call and other examples that you'll read in the lives of saints and you experience yourself from others, it's when a person sees these things, his conscience telling him, stop, what's going on, go, do this, do that. And when we keep on ignoring, 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 after a while, it's like you're saying, God, keep away from me. Keep, your guardian, keep the guardian angel away. Keep the saints away. Keep everyone away. That's it. And we lock ourselves, we lock our souls so that we're not allowing grace to come to us to help us. And that's what's called blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. When we don't allow God's grace to come into us so that he can help us to repent. Never, we must never ignore our conscience. Ignore once, ignore twice, ignore a few times more, and after a while, it gets buried in, and that's very hard to come out of it. And as a priest, I have to tell you that the most difficult person to work with is a person who's buried their conscience. And I believe, and I've seen, that was another example, but I've personally seen so many examples of where God has arranged certain things for that person to come to their senses. Some do and some don't. But it, it is very, very sad. Yes, he said, I felt disturbance, a secret disturbance and uneasiness that I had not told you about it. That proves clearly that the devil was there, that behind all this was the devil. The, the elder spoke long to him about the tricks of the enemy and finished rebuking him fairly strongly. In other words, the elder put him in his place and said, that is really wrong. First, love, love, and builds up and then tells them. It's a good way to learn for discipline your children. You don't have to be harsh with your children straight away. You can be first loving and soft so that they can come closer and open up. And then after that, towards the end, you might be a little bit more, you can say, that is really wrong. We saw that in Elder Porfirio's example. When someone would confess, he wouldn't say anything a lot of times. Let the person speak and speak and speak. And when they would say big sins, sometimes he would remain silent. And then when the person opened up and felt comfortable and opened up more and more, at the end, he would say, now back to that one where you said that you did that. That is, you know, very serious. Be careful of that, you know, etc., etc. O deluded one, the devil deceived you. Does the Theotokos need either me or you? Does she need your assistance? Take care. If you hear a knock again, don't get up to light the lamp and I will be responsible. Don't listen to the lamps. I mean, don't listen to the voices. Perhaps the lamp too, if it makes noises. Poor, poor Father Neophytos, his wings were clipped. Isn't that how we feel when our pride is broken? When we think we're flying and we're, we're doing a lot of good things, spiritual things, and all of a sudden we'd realise that we're in deception and then the spiritual father says, hey, that's not right, and we feel knocked down. I always say, when that comes, we come to a crossroad. I've said this before. You can go that way or that way. No, in other words, we're flying in the air, we're proud and we think we're really great, all of us, and then suddenly our wings get clipped, we're told that you're in deception or something's wrong, we fall. Then we can go two ways, because our egos are hurt. We can either go one way, which is not to accept the rebuke, not to accept being told that you are deceived, to become angry at whoever told you that, or 
we can go the other way where we humble ourselves and go, yes, I did fall into deception, God forgive me and may he help me and then go on. That's the two ways we can go. My experience is people mostly go the egotistical way. Once they're told their faults, once they're being exposed, once they see themselves that they fell, they don't usually uh, continue with spiritual struggle. Or they make up a special brand of spirituality, a special type of orthodoxy which suits them. And that's not good. Humility is the way to go. So, never had he expected such an inglorious end to his exalted affair. Never thought that he would ever fall into deception and go and fall down to that extent. Of course, later he was grateful to the elder who had rescued him from the snares of the enemy, from the tricks of the enemy. He was grateful. Oh, wouldn't it be great for spiritual fathers to have spiritual children that come up and say to them later on, Father, thank you for telling me that particular thing that happened and for helping me. Thank you for caring. Instead, we, some people just go off onto whole warfares. Some people actually start a whole war against the priest and make up some stories and say that he's a bad priest, he's a heretic, or he's this or he's that. Only to hide the fact that he tried to help them in their spiritual life. So when you hear stories that there's some crazy person that's going around and, and is really like just about frothing at the mouth and saying that priest is bad and he's really bad and that's bad. You've got to say to yourself, there's something else behind it. And that happens a lot. I remember one bishop, um, a, a very good bishop, someone went to him and said, uh, oh, that, the priest, which was his priest, he said, that priest, he's really bad and he did this and did that. And then the bishop called the priest and said, this person came to me and said all these things about you. And he goes, but I think this person is under some type of temptation because he had really, really pathological hate for you. And just from that, the bishop worked out that the person is under some influence and that there's something wrong with him, that it wasn't even real, that he made it up. His ego was hurt. The person's ego was hurt. Now, however, he was very sorrowful. He, had, he even had a doubt, could it be that the door would be knocked on again? But as soon as the designs of the devil uh, were confronted by the light, they were scattered like smoke. In other words, as soon as he opened up and said what happened to him, it's like the light shone and all the traps of the devil were exposed and he escaped. So confession is not just for sins. It's good to say now and then certain things. If your icon moves, that's a good one to say. If you smell things in your room, that's a good one to say. If you hear noises, and even if you think that it's temptations. Someone rang me up the other day and said to me, um, the devil fights me. He fights me all the time. I go, okay, yeah, yeah, he fights me. And, um, you know, and I do the Jesus prayer and this and that. And I thought to myself, if the devil was really fighting him, he wouldn't be speaking in that way. He was speaking, um, he was proud that the devil's fighting. He goes, 
The devil, I can feel the devil when I'm doing prayers. He comes from behind me. And I feel his presence. And I said to him, yeah, could be that. Could be that. I said, but he wants you to feel his presence. He wants you to think that you're being tempted. So that you can get proud that the devil's fighting you like you fought the ascetics. But the only problem is, if he was really fighting, fighting you, right, you wouldn't be in your room. You'd have went, you would have went through the window head first because you would have been so scared. Or given you a knock. Knock down. See how St. John of the Ladders gave a beautiful example where he said an ascetic once his spiritual eyes were opened, which I assume he was talking about himself because he did, but because he wrote in, in his book, he didn't want to say it was himself out of humility. And he said, I saw once about himself two devils, one on each side of me. One of them said to me, in, through my thoughts, he said, whispered in his ear, tell people about the asceticism that you did in the desert, the miracles that you performed, you know, and all those type of things. And then he said that the person rejected it. He rejected that thought. What do you think the other one was on the other side for? Do you, do you know? Well, what was the purpose of the other one? So he rejected the thought. The devil didn't know that he could see them, by the way. God opened his spiritual eyes. What do you think the other one was there for? Do you know? So... This demon was the demon of vainglory. Vainglory is to show off. That's, that's what vainglory means. So he was telling him, you know, go and sh tell people what you've done as vainglory. And when he rejected it, the other on the other side was the demon of pride and said to him, you did well that you rejected that vainglorious thought. So he was hit on this side, he rejected it, but then on the other side came the other one and said, you did well. And then he had to reject that one too. But a lot of times, that's St. John of the Ladder, of course. But for us, we um, are inexperienced. And we don't know that that's going on. So for us, we can have a thought, a bad thought, a repulsive thought. And we can say, that thought is bad, and we reject it. But then at the same time as we're rejecting it, we become proud, but we're not sensitive, we're not spiritually progressed to actually know that we're getting proud. Now, the same as that person that I said, he'd be praying, and he says that he would feel. Now, either he was making that up, or it was true. I probably would assume that it was probably true. So he had, he had something there, he felt some presence in the room, and then he would pray, he says, I did the Jesus prayer, and it goes away. Should have asked him his commemoration date. Like, what day do we commemorate you on the Orthodox calendar? You sound like you're a very great saint to be able to reject the devil with the Jesus prayer. But he didn't know that the devil came, he prayed, and the devil left, not because of his proud prayers, because he left to make him believe that it's from him. Now, some of you might think, oh, these are all complicated things. Don't even knew spiritual life was so hard. This is hopeless. 
like you're telling me all these, you're telling us all these tricks with the thoughts and the pride and the vainglory and one demon here and one there and one at the back and what's going on? How are we going to do spiritual life? It's like, it's like it's hopeless. And the answer is, if I've got you to the state that you're hopeless, if I've actually got you to the state where you're confused, upset, scared, maybe even frustrated, angry, if I've got you to that stage, I'm doing well. I, that's, that's what I want at this time. Just don't pick up any chairs and throw them around. Just <laughs> keep the aggression inside of you if you're getting upset, if you're really getting worked up, that's good. That's the purpose of this talk. I want you to know the reality. I want you to know that spiritual life is not a game. Remember last time when I said to you that people say, oh, spiritual life or church is for old women, for young little kids, and things like, no, it's not. Oh, no. Spiritual life is for warriors. That's why when we baptise the child, the priest puts oil over it, symbolic, because in the old days, in the Greek days, they used to uh, anoint oil on the wrestlers and, you know, when they used to go and fight. And it's symbolic that when we become Christians, we become soldiers and soldiers to be courageous. You don't have soldiers that are gutless. And that's the same in the spiritual life. And that's why St. John of the Ladder has one of his steps, which shows progress. One of them is courage, where you wear cowards. And there's no place for cowards in the spiritual life. Yes, we can see that from the lives what we're reading, that it's actually quite difficult. In a similar incident, says the author of this particular little part, he says, in a similar incident related in the sayings of the Desert Fathers, an elder said to his disciple, O child, your confession saved you. As long as you did not speak, the devil wounded you. Now that you have spoken, however, you have massacred the demon. That's the answer. So some of you might say, oh, it's hopeless, it's this, it's that. Very, 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 very simple. There's the answer. The answer is that you, you don't know. No one knows. It's very hard. It's very hard to know when you're being tricked. Like I said before, a woman can feel a certain feeling about that her child's in danger. That does happen. But sometimes it could be the devil putting it in her to actually make her proud. How do we know which is which? Open up. Go to your spiritual father. Tell them. Say, open up these things. And what happens then is that even if the spiritual father doesn't have the gift, that, that gift of discernment to that level, the fact that God sees you opening, the fact that God sees you going to his priest, then God will protect. And that's the answer. We don't know. We need to open up. And then the, the elder said to the spiritual child, now that you have spoken, however, you have massacred the demon. Now he has no more place in you because his designs, his tricks, his plans are revealed. O child, your confession delivered you. In order for the treacherous plans of the enemy to succeed, in other words, for the tricks of the devil to succeed with us, they need darkness. Not darkness when we turn off lights. Don't get mixed up. It, woe to monks and to all Christians who conceal their states, what's going on in them, from their spiritual fathers. 
the prince of darkness will lead them to ruin and will rejoice over their perdition, over their loss. The devil loves when we don't open up to our spiritual fathers. Now, some of you might say, but that's pretty easy. No. Start your spiritual life and then you'll see how difficult it is. I always advise people, before you go to confession, or maybe even for days before you go to confession, every day in your night prayers and your morning prayers, pray to God, to your guardian angel, to your patron saint, to some saint that you feel close to, to the mother of God. Pray every day and say, look, for example, most holy mother of God, help me to repent and help me to confess. Some people do feel sorry for what they've done, but they, don't, they can't confess. And the opposite too. Some can confess very easily and go and say whatever they want, but they don't repent. So when we pray, we will say, Lord Jesus Christ, help me to repent and confess. Help me to say my sin. Every day, before. And if you, and if you have not got to the decision that you're going to do that, don't go. Don't go to confession. Because, as our Holy Father say, that when we confess 99 things and we leave one of them because we didn't want to say it because we're embarrassed, whatever, the, and even if the priest reads us the prayer of absolution, the other 99 aren't, are not forgiven. And on top of that, we add the worst sin is that we on purpose kept the sin. Don't do it. If it takes one month, then take one month. Pray, fast, struggle, do an acathist, pray continually, asking God, help me to say my sin. That's it. That's the first part. We got through... I only got through two, but anyway, this will take a few months to do. Are there any questions on what we spoke about? Yes. Um. Well, we are not that progressed to know. So therefore, for beginners, it's best for them to go and confess their sins, struggle with the passions, try to keep the commandments. That means to struggle to keep the commandments. And then, slowly, slowly, a lot of those things start coming out. That question you're asking is uh, a progressed, for a, that's a person that's progressed to be able to distinguish whether we have... But look, the fathers say that all falls, when we fall into sin, the root of that is pride. But self-knowledge comes with time. As someone repents as someone struggles, as someone experiences their sins and start to develop humility, then things start to make more sense. But a lot of times, people are not even at that stage because they're not really opening up in the first place. So if you're not opening up in the first place, then you can't even go to that level. That's just like you know, someone who's in 
year seven maths trying to do year 12 maths. It just can't be done. Some of them could be deceived, but it's not, it's not going to work. You need to do seven, eight, nine. I mean, if you're a genius, maybe you can jump through them and you can get that into about a year. But you still have to do it. You can't jump. So it's the same in spiritual life. For us to be able to know these things, and that's why I said in the beginning, I want you to be hopeless and I want you to be confused and upset about it on purpose to show you how difficult it is and how important it is to go to the spiritual father and let God enlighten him. And even if the spiritual father may not know exactly what's going on, it doesn't matter because the main thing is that um, you have shown your humility by going and opening and things will come out better. Any other questions before we have that break? I'm not sure of your question. Can you repeat it? Okay, how do I see if I have humility? Sometimes God hides it from us because if we see anything that resembles it, sometimes we go into Lululand again. So sometimes it's just a person who is struggling, falling, struggling, trying not to fall again, confessing, repenting, praying, trying to lead a spiritual life and being bombarded continually, the person will develop it. Even if the person doesn't see it, which is probably for their, for their better, the main thing is that the spiritual father who's taking care of you will tell you that something... Like, for example, if, if I speak to someone and I sense that there's something wrong, I will tell them, right? So I will say to them, look, you know, I'm, I think that you're somewhere along that line that... You know, you think that you're humble there, but you're not really. It's behind it is pride. And, you know, I try. try with my, I mean, I could, could be wrong, but it depends on the faith of the person. So everything comes out and bears fruit when you lead an active spiritual life, when you are trying to fight your passions and you're trying to keep the commandments when you're doing those two things, you will develop humility, whether you see it or not. And the most important thing is to keep close to the spiritual father so if he sees that something is not right, he will tell you. In the beginning, I would say it's not good, like the question that Vladimir asked as well, is in the beginning we can't examine to a high degree ourselves because we don't have the experience the demons are constantly clouding our thoughts. We have a very active fantasy because of television, music, etc., etc. So therefore, people can think that they're knowing themselves, especially in this day and age. They can think they're knowing themselves, but they're not. It's just important to let the spiritual father to look at that in the beginning, especially for quite a few years. When you start to take it on yourself and say, okay, that's from that, that's from that, that's that, that's that, that's that. That's when our mental state, our fantasy, and the devil just all gets mixed up and makes a mess of everything. 
So it's no, it's very hard to know. Uh, with time, one begins to see it, but by that time they've already been flattened, they've already been smashed to the ground so many times, they've already fallen, a person's already fallen into so many sins, and he begins to have true humility from within. I'm going to read some from today from St. John of the Ladder on, on pride and things like that. So your answer to your question is we don't, we don't see it in the beginning and, we see, and that time goes on, God begins to help. In the beginning, stay close to the spiritual father, don't trust yourself, open up your state and God will then bless everything. If you don't do that and you try and work it out yourself, that means that you're trying to be your own spiritual father, then for sure you will fall into deception and you're going to be lost. And that's why a lot of Orthodox Christians today have fallen away or deceived because they did that. They tried to do everything themselves. And they never really had guidance. You can't lead spiritual life. You know, that's just like a person trying to learn a, trying to learn a trade or a, trying to learn a subject without a teacher. If you can't do it in a worldly sense, how can you do it in a spiritual sense? The spiritual is even more, even more. Because, for example, maths is maths. There, you've got triangles and you've got quadrilaterals. Whatever you've got, it's there, it's there, it's, it's there. Nothing secret behind it. There's no demon behind the quadrilateral. But in the spiritual life, there is. There is. And it's very, very, uh, they're very, very tricky. Everything's unknown. And the most important thing is that a lot of people's minds today from the television is so bad in the fantasy, which we're going to go on to later on, that he can, the devil can make you think that you see things that don't even exist. So it's dangerous. Close to a spiritual father. Show humility. Father, I've noticed that I do this or that. You know, and the spiritual father begins to feel and God enlightens him a lot of times and says, leave that. Don't worry about that. You do that and just do that and that's it. Whatever he tells you, do. And if you do that, then you start to progress. Let's have the break and then we will return in um, 10 or so minutes and we will continue on with the topic, which I hope that you um, are not becoming too scared. Because remember, a lot of you do watch horrible movies. So if you should be scared, you should be scared of that stuff, not this. Have a break. The books, some of these stories that I'm using for this talk comes from this two-volume set, Contemporary Aesthetics of Mount Athos. Now this, I have to say, is excellent and it's got like all about the lives of the saints of Mount Athos. I read this years ago when I was younger and I reread them again lately and I've noticed that they are excellent because they help us understand the spiritual life, like the way he says, the devil made him dark for his pride. You know, all these things which are very, very important. Those two books is that. And also, years ago I put this book together. I got various articles and made a little booklet. It's called True and False Visions in the Light of Orthodoxy, which has um, some of these stories, some different ones, which is also a very, very good thing and both of them we got at the back my dream was always to make as many orthodox great books available to people and that's what the purpose is if you think we make great profits out of those things we don't i believe that they are very good books did you buy them last time
در میگه The following incident happened in Katunakia, which is Mount Athos again, in the year 1914 in, a, in Elder Macarius's Kaliva. Now, Kaliva, as we said, in Mount Athos we have big monasteries, there's 20 of them, but also in Mount Athos we've got what's called skeets, and each skeet has got a number of houses, like a village. And each little house, which is called a Kaliva, has a elder with some monks. Might be one monk, two monks, three monks, four monks, and those monks live under the elder, what's called strict, absolute obedience, which is a very difficult life. Two lives which are very difficult in orthodoxy. It's the life of a hermit where they live on their own, and the second one is the life of a person who lives in his little, under a unconditional obedience to their spiritual father, to, to their elder, like they do in the skeets. So this elder, his name was Macarius, and he had a kaliva, and a little, that little house there in this in Katunakia, which he's got the main church in the middle and about, I don't know how many houses all around. Each house does their own services because every house has their own chapel. But on big feast days, on Sunday and all that, all the monks from that skeet go to the main church. That's the setup. Also, that's Father Ignatius that I was told you about, the one that helped the person with the um, vigil lamp. He also lived there. He was like a great elder. So in those days, Elder Macarius's community, in other words, his monks of his little house there, they were busy and they were adding a second story to their little premises there, to their kaliva, as we say. The work was far advanced and they were building the roof. And my children said the elder, glory to God, all goes well. Now the boards of the roof must be carried up. Be careful, the boards are heavy. Let's be patient, carry them up one by one. Don't hurry too much. See, it's the spiritual father of these skeets, of these little houses. They're like a true father. They're full of love, taking care of the monks that are under them, caring for them, caring about their health, caring about their prayers, caring that they don't fall into deception, everything. They take care of everything. And that is, as I said, that is um, exceptional, but also difficult because not many people can do that, can live under those conditions where they leave their whole will. They don't have their own will at all. They do. You might think, oh, they're like robots, but we read from the life of Elder Porfirios earlier on, talks 19, 20, 21, whatever. We saw there that he lived under those conditions, and from that, from the obedience that he had for his elder, that he actually was given those gifts that he was given. So a very difficult life. And he says, yes, yeah, so be careful, let's be patient. Everyone began carrying the boards, but there was a certain monk, a younger of the, the youngest of the community, whose name was Father Larian, And he could not tolerate um, carrying up them one by one, the boards. Young and strong in arms, he started taking three at a time. So what did he do? He was disobedient. And being disobedient especially in this setup, all disobedience is bad, but disobedience in this setup is the worst sin in these conditions where you've got a, a spiritual elder who, where you live together in the same house. That's the worst sin of everything. See, in the monasteries they're obedient too, but they're still, they don't rub up as much with the elder, the abbot, they go and see him, but here they live in the same house. 
you know, be careful of this, watch out that, I want you to do this, you know, and it's, and it's like when you, when you lead that life properly, it's blessed. But when you've got ego, it's not very good. So he did not pay. Father Larin, the other brothers said to him, the other fathers, the boards are heavy, don't take so many or you hurt yourself. He did not pay the slightest attention to their advice. They should mind their own business, he said to himself. I know how many I can carry. So that shows a very inexperienced, arrogant, proud, disobedient monk. Elder Makaros learned of his attitude and reproached him, corrected him, but he paid no attention to him as well. By his wicked behaviour, which is not appropriate for a monk to have, he angered his elder. It was a case of diabolical pride and disobedience. There is a rule in the monasteries. When someone makes their spiritual father or in a woman's monastery, spiritual mother, to say, ach, meaning, oh, like, you know, you're upsetting me, you're not listening, they said that this is the worst thing. And in point of actual fact, the same thing really happens with our parents or a woman towards a husband or a husband towards the woman towards their wife. But, it's, but let's look at the children. For a, ch for a child as today, because the, the world is full of disobedience, the children are often upsetting their parents. And because they're upsetting their parents to that extent they're not listening, they lose grace. They really lose grace. And that's why they fall into really abominable sins. You might say, but they're not spiritual, a lot of people. These rules only, these principles only apply for spiritual life. But that's not correct. Even in worldly life, people say, oh, he got really proud and he just fell on his face. A lot of these principles still go in the worldly life as well. And the same with children when they are disrespectful to the parents or when they upset their parents, that brings about God's anger and punishment. And that's why a lot of them fall into really serious drugs and everything else that they, that they do. And all of us should look at when we were all, all of us, whoever were disobedient to our parents, when we did uh, bad, when we upset them, didn't listen, didn't care, didn't take care of them and all that type of things, and we received... And we went through a lot of bad things in our life. A lot of that comes from that. It's, it's a person who does that is cursed. So we have to realise that, that. Now, a woman with a man is also very bad when a woman is disobedient to the husband. As long as the husband, of course, he's got um, love and cares for his wife. And a man who does not take care of his wife and is disrespectful, puts her down, judges her continually and all those type of things... He's cursed as well. So we can see that these principles also exist in our everyday life, not just in the, in the Kaliva of Elder Macarius or in Mount Athos and other monasteries all over the world. So it was a case of diabolical pride and disobedience. And sorry, and the same thing applies when we, when we upset our spiritual fathers in the world. If a spiritual father is taking care of your soul, like I said, I think I told you some examples of some people in the years ago and still that I said to them a few things and they were very rude, very horrible and disobedient, atrocious. 
when you're trying to help them, trying to help their families or trying to help their souls, you're trying to help them to be saved and they're being very horrible. A lot of those people I've noticed, they just really go downhill. Downhill. Because it is bad. According to the monastic tradition, harsh punishment awaits the disciple who angers his elder. For Ilarion, the time of his punishment was near. The proud monk, who always wanted to do his own will, climbed up the roof of the Kaliva, with the house there, with three boards on his back. As soon as he laid them down, he received the blow. He was delivered, meaning all of a sudden, he was delivered to the power of Satan and possessed by a demon. And what a dreadful, terrifying demon. His fury agitated the whole region. Abominable words came out of his mouth and his actions horrified all who saw him. In other words, he became possessed. Now, some of you might say, oh, that sounds too much, and not because he carried three planks, but he should have carried one, that he became possessed. I said, in the spiritual life, especially when someone knows, because that person, that monk, when he was made a monk, as I read last time some of the things, he promised that he will be obedient. He does a prostration to his spiritual father, to his elder. And then in the tonsure it says that you will be obedient, you will cut your will, and etc., etc., etc. And he says, I do. Yes, Holy Father. Yes, Holy Father. Yes, 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 yes. So it's not a light thing. And the same, I've noticed women who, when their husbands are telling them good things, proper things, and they are not listening, they lose a lot of grace, become depressed, they have breakdowns, can't take care of their kids. And the opposite too, when a man is horrible to his wife, they get demonic influence too. Now whether they get possessed, um, uh, I've seen some pretty treasures, I won't say that to this extent, but I've seen bad things happen. All disobedience is bad. If I'm disobedient to my bishop, then I will become possessed, whether, whether the, it will be to this extent or whatever. It still will be a very bad thing. So, we have to understand in spiritual life, disobedience is bad. It's, just make sure that we all understand that. That's for me and for you. So he was delivered to the power of Satan, possessed and demon. And what happened? What is the matter, asked the perplexed fathers from the area there. Elder Macarius's Ilarion has been possessed. In other words, Elder Macarius's spiritual child, Ilarion, just like we say, you know, someone like John's, John's Michael, meaning John's little Michael, John's Michael. That's, so that, that's, how, they, that's how they speak in Manathos. You know, Elder Macarius's Ilarion, meaning his spiritual child, has been possessed. Ilarion is possessed. There is a savage demon inside him. God has punished him. Father Ignatius, who was also their neighbour, was immediately informed of the event. He was a very spiritual man. They told him what happened. Experienced as he was in these matters, he understood that a great struggle would be needed to expel this fierce demon. Immediately he commanded that several fathers assemble in the Kaliva, in that little house there, in the church, in the chapel, in order to combine their prayers and perform the sacrament of holy unction for the sufferer. Holy unction is the anointing seven times with the oil, which I 
discussed recently with someone. That's, and we're going to, hopefully, God willing, we'll do that service again in uh, Christmas Lent, in, on the Nativity Lent. Very, very powerful um, service. See, people think, oh, because you're possessed, you've got to go and do exorcisms. You've got to go and do the prayers of St. Basil the Great, St. John Chrysostom, St. Kippur, Kippur, and things like that. But, you know, we will, we will see as time goes on that to do exorcisms needs a special type of person. And not all priests can do them. So seven priests took part in performing the sacrament, this mystery, because you need seven priests. Obviously, in parishes, they sometimes use one because there's not, there's not enough. But the proper way is to do, have seven priests to do it. In this case, it was seven monks that were priests. This ceremony had something extraordinary about it. The atmosphere trembled with a special feeling. The sight would break your heart. In the middle of the church lay the demon-possessed Ilarian tied to a board with many ropes. This unfortunate monk had not wanted to carry one board. He wanted to carry three. Now he himself was carried tied to a board. So he didn't want to carry one, he wanted to carry three. And now he's tied to the one. Several strong monks stood near because the possessed one had fearful strength and would break the ropes. Okay, I watched the other night a special about exorcisms in the Roman Catholic Church. And they were saying that there's been an increased need to perform exorcisms. In Italy, there's two. There's one main guy, a priest, who does it, and there's also a, a bishop over there. You know, in general, that they don't do them. And I watched it because I wanted to see the difference, what they're saying. Now, one interesting thing that they said, both the priest and the bishop, were saying the reason that people are becoming possessed and people are becoming under the influence of demons is because of the increase in occultism. People are going to mediums, you know, satanic groups, cults, you know, going and getting your cards read, going and, and all these type of magic things and mediums and contacting dead people, supposedly, and all these things that we've spoken about quite a lot. That has increased. And they're saying that because of that, the demons have now taken control of a lot of people. Okay. Then I, which is true, that was a good point, because um, we say the same. Then I wanted to hear what symptoms these people have. They said, the person has extraordinary strength. That's correct. Orthodox Church believes the same. The person who's possessed blasphemes, doesn't like to hear the words of Christ, Mother of God, saints, they bothers them. They become quite agitated, they scream, they swear, etc. That's correct. That's true. The other thing was that the demon possessed know things that they shouldn't know. They know people's secret thoughts, they know past events, they know people's sins, etc. Orthodox Church says exactly the same. And that's what they said. Basically, that's it. So they'd have to hold them down. Might be two, three people holding them down. So it might be a little old woman or a young child which doesn't have strength. But then you gotta, you, know, you need four or five people to hold them down. And uh, when you ask psychiatrists these things, they say, oh, I don't know, they make up something to try and explain it. How do they know the future? Well, 
They say, oh, you know, they, they get all confused. However, in the Catholic Church, they're really well equipped and a lot of people who are involved in these exorcisms, a lot of them are psychiatrists. So they've got both because the Catholic Church says we have to check to see that the person's not mentally ill and that it's truly demonic. So they're covering themselves because people say, oh, these people are mentally ill. In the Orthodox Church, exactly the same. We have to check to see whether the person is truly possessed or, or someone under influence or been cursed, because curses also do it, or if a person's had magic done on them. Or is it psychological? We say exactly the same. The... Catholic Church, because of this great need, they've now established some type of school or course where bishops are sending all their priests from all over the world to sit for courses of how to do exorcisms. That doesn't exist in the Orthodox Church. So they go into courses. So I noticed in the film that there was these people in their suits and just young people coming up and sitting there and doing like they're doing a lecture on exorcisms. The bishop and the priest spoke about this courses as being necessary and you know and very important. A lot of the prayers that they use are similar to ours. The question I was asking myself, well I've read and I've even heard as well that when people who had demonic problems used to go to Catholic priests and tell them, can you help me? They would say, go to a Orthodox priest, or go to a Greek Orthodox priest, or go, you know, because Greeks are more into it, Russians are not that much into it. Go to a Greek Orthodox priest. And we know that we do not recognize the priesthood of the Roman Catholic Church. So one has to ask, are they doing exorcisms or they're not doing exorcisms? What's going on there? But the demons are shouting and they're screaming and they're saying to the priest, you know, you, you're swearing at the priest and saying, look what you're doing to me, you're burning me and all these type of things. We have to question, is that true? And I started to think to myself, well, in Orthodox tradition, when you read Lives of Saints, it says there that the demons can pretend that they're burning to make the ascetic, to make the priest believe that they've got powers. So they say, oh, you know, you're burning me, priest, you're burning me, and things like that. But they're not burning because the priest is reading the prayers with pride. I noticed another thing, that in the Orthodox Church, a lot of the people that are possessed, they froth and vomit continually. There, they never mention that. And another thing, which is very important, which I found uh, interesting was that, anyway, I don't know what happened to it. I'll do it from memory. We have a lot of examples of priests, there was one example, it says 1994, something like that, it's in the book at the back there, the devil and magic and things like that, the priest read the prayers of exorcisms for a woman or a man who needed help and he read them and on the way home, he was going home and all these rocks were being hurled at his car but he couldn't see anyone 
and then he went home and then all of a sudden plates started smashing and things started flying around and things like that and he went and put on his stole you know this thing here the petrohilis we call it put it on and started reading prayers and calmed down and the explanation was that the demons don't like when these exorcisms are being done I noticed from that documentary that not once did any of them ever say that the people who are doing the exorcisms are attacked. Not one of them. That was, to me, interesting. In Orthodox Church, those who do it are attacked. If they're a married priest, they're attacked, their wife's attacked, their children are attacked. If it's a priest from a monastery, a lot of times he's attacked, the monastery's attacked, etc and really viciously. I confess that I have read them a few times years ago uh, through ignorance. There were some people that had problems. They weren't possessed, but they had problems. And I read them, and I have to say that it was the worst time of my life. And I thought to myself, well, Christ says this type comes out with prayer and fasting. And I thought to myself, well, because I'm sick and take a lot of pills, I can't fast the same, you know, I can't do the fasts that the ascetics do, which is obvious by looking at me. So I had this doubt that well, I think I've got a feeling I shouldn't be doing them. Anyway, with God's help, I rang up someone from overseas who was experienced and they said, don't do them. And I said, oh, thanks God for that. Because it was, it was horrible. Right? So, from my own experience, I would have to say that when you do those things, it's not like, oh, I'm going to do exorcisms and I'm going to read prayers like these. To me, that's how these Catholics were going on. I just found it strange that they, were, they weren't being attacked. Elder Ignatius, it says here that experienced as he was in these matters he understood that a great struggle would be needed to expel this fierce demon he knew that there'll be a struggle and that's the point the point is that someone who's going to read these prayers has to be spiritually strong has to be a person of prayer has to be a person of fasting not even a lot of our saints when you read the, the lives of saints Many of them wouldn't, wouldn't do them. Now, today in the Orthodox Church, there are priests that do them. There's even some here that do them. Somewhere. I'm not going to say where, it's not important, but they do them. And the person says, oh, you know, you're burning me and all this uh, stuff, and the demon speaks, and he's saying all these things about the priest and about the people and all this, too much going on there. And um, I know someone who, who was telling me that they, that they were going to this person and said, I wouldn't go if I was you. Elder Baisio said something excellent in when, when you read his books, when he says there, don't go and do those things because when you go and have exorcisms done, it aggravates the demons and it makes them attack. It makes them attack the person, especially who's been read especially the person who's being read. If the priest is holy, then he's going to get attacked, but he's going to know how to struggle. If the priest isn't spiritual, then he's going to get knocked out. But the person for sure, 
the victim will be torn apart. And he says, do spiritual life. Start to confess, start to fast, start to, you know, struggle, read, have an unction done, you know, have malebans done, paraklis as we say, and things like that. And then slowly, slowly, slowly to detect what is in us which has caused this problem. If the person can't do it because they're far off, then those who love them do it. i tell you what happened to one of these priests who was doing these. The priest... I don't know what happened. I think he was forced to retire or something like that. And the priest was very upset that he was forced to retire. He wanted to, you know, he wanted his parish back. So he, he, um, he would only go wherever he was told to go when there was a priest missing. So one day he was doing these prayers and, you know, he started to enter into dialogue with the demon that was in this person, which we're going to see in a minute that someone did do that. But these people are holy, they're, they're attached to holy people. Anyway, he went and started speaking to, you know, to, they used to ask the questions and they don't understand that the demons are the most slimy, the most tricky, and they say everything to confuse everyone. They'll say some truths, they'll say some lies, they'll say the priest fornicated and they'll say the priest is holy and then they'll say that person that person all confusion and sometimes they do say things about people that are some secret things you know that God allows that but in general they're tricky and unless you've got spiritual experience you don't know anyway look what he did to show you how much you can fall into deception as he was reading the prayers he said to the demon he goes tell me cursed one tell me cursed one Am I going to get my parish back soon? Right? So in other words, he was treating the demon as a medium, as a person who's going to tell him the future. He lost himself. He fell into deception. This person rang me up and he said to me, oh, it's not him that's got the problem, someone else got the problem. He rang me up and he said, um, oh, you know, such, such and such was being read the other day and the demon was saying things, and they even said something about you, meaning about me. I said, stop. I am not interested in anything that that has to say. Nothing. I don't want to hear good. I don't want to hear bad. If he says good, it's going to make, to, to make me fall into pride. If he says something bad, then it's going to make me believe it or have all confusions. Nothing. But yet there are people who have got what's called like a demonomania, meaning that they've always run in to exorcisms and watching and looking. And St. John Christum actually says, don't do that because you can become possessed yourself. It's not a game. And there are people who do that. They go to Greece because some priests over there do them publicly and then people go and look at them. People look, look at these people vomiting and convulsing and, and screaming and going like this, that. You know, that's dangerous. So I said to him, stop, I'm not interested. I said to this person, and I've told you before, you've got demon mania. Stop this thing that you're doing because you're going to lose yourself. Well, the priest already, just the priest has already. Tell me, am I going to get my parish back? Might as well go to a a gypsy fortune teller and ask her as well 
if I'm going to get my parish back. So, that's the difference. That's what I've noticed in the Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church. In the Orthodox Church, a priest has to be holy. A person of prayer, a person of fasting, a person of obedience, a person who has discernment, so that when they get attacked, they'll know what's happening and things like that. A lot of priests aren't at that level and therefore shouldn't read them. Very dangerous, actually. So look at here. They didn't, in this example, they didn't even read any exorcism. They just did the unction, which was interesting. Anyway, the unfortunate monk, well, several monks stood there. They had fearful strength. And already said before that he was actually swearing and saying bad things. The prayers began to be read fervently. The, in other words, they were begging. The, the priests that were praying were begging God. Um, while every so often the holiness of the service drew screams and insults from the evil spirits. Now you might say, well, how do we know they're not screaming on purpose to trick them? That's the problem, isn't it? The problem is, how do we know? And the reason why we know is because this person, this elder Ignatios, had all the virtues. He was, he, and, and the monks, they had love and humility and they had obedience. Their conscience were clear. They would confess often. Do you know what it said there for the Catholic Church? I read it, I got it, I got it off the, um, off the uh, thing. This is how a priest must be to be able to do exorcisms. It says, uh, Catholic canon law states that exorcism should only be performed by priests who are outstanding in piety, knowledge, prudence, and integrity of life. Prudence means that they're wise and that they've got wisdom and things like that. I mean, as I was saying to the person who helped me type this up, I said, well, you know, Donald Trump and a lot of these other people, they got a lot of wisdom. They actually knew how to make money. And a lot of people are prudent, but they're not spiritual. They're careful. They think. They've got some wisdom. I mean, even Confucius had some wisdom and other people as well. But it doesn't mean that they're... And it says piety. Piety. So what does that mean, piety? It says that's for their outstanding piety. Sometimes we get a person who prays a bit, fasts a bit, they're pious. Maybe they can do exorcisms as well. But that's not how it is in the Orthodox Church. We don't say that. In the Orthodox Church, we say the person has to be holy, full of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They don't say that. Because, as I've said before, they can't say it. Because as Elder Porfirio says, they do not possess the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit exist only within the Orthodox Church. This Orthodox saint is completely different to a Catholic saint. That's why for, for one to become a priest in the Catholic Church, they have to go and study for seven years. Seven years or something like that. They go and get degrees and things like that. Why? Because they don't have the grace that helps them within the priesthood and that's why intellectually they have to learn. Intellectually they do have to learn. Priesthood is a mystery. Anyway, now, don't appear that I'm putting them down in the sense that I'm doing that to enlighten, though, you know, 
We have good people there, but the truth is the truth. They don't have incorrupt relics. We have our Orthodox saints, we have so many even that have died recently that are incorrupt. They give off fragrances. They do not decompose. Saint Sava the New of Kalimnos, Saint John the Russian, Saint Spiridon is an ancient saint which also the Catholics accept. But the after schism saints, when the Catholics separate, we have so many that are incorrupt. Saint Gerasimus, Saint Dionysius, Saint Theodosius in um, Chernogov, is that he said? I can't say those names. But in Russia, they're incorrupt. The holy water we did today. Keep it as long as you want. It won't go off. They put salt in theirs and chemicals so that it won't go off. Now, does that mean we're going to laugh? It's not to laugh. To me, I feel pain. I feel pain for them because there's so many good people there. If they can't bless holy water, I don't know how they're going to do exorcisms or anything else. Even the worst Orthodox priest, even if he's, the, if he's doing all the sins under the sun but he hasn't been defrocked, if he blesses the bowl of water, it will not go off. It won't stink. That's the priesthood. Now, we're coming to the end of this story. So at certain parts of the service, they would begin to scream. One of the parts was the part where they say, Are thou who art without beginning, eternal, the holy of holies. Father Ignatius, who had preeminence in the ceremony, he was the head priest, began to entreat, to pray, with a voice trembling from emotion. And he would say, let this oil become the oil of gladness, the oil of sanctification, a royal garment, an armour of strength, the averting of all diabolical power. Today, during the holy water service, some of you, because it was in English, would have heard the priest say to expel the evil demons. See, that's not exorcisms. I'm not doing exorcisms. I don't have that strength. But holy water, the holy oil, we hear these references. May this water be for the sanctification of the houses, for the expelling of evil demons. All those type of references were said within that service. And that's why Elder Paisius correctly says that there's no need to have to do exorcisms. Exorcisms are a very rare case. And if you, someone does need an exorcism, they've got to go and find someone who is really leading the spiritual life. And a lot of them won't even do it because they're too humble. Like St. Anthony. Someone went to St. Anthony, the great, and said, I'm, you know, took someone there and said, you know, the person's possessed, whatever. And he says, I don't do that. Go to Father Paul the Simple, which is a saint now. And they went there. And he read the prayers and he, to help the person to, um, for the demon to come out. And as the demon was coming out, he said that the humility of St. Anthony burnt him to a crisp but made him to leave. In other words, that even though St. Anthony didn't read the prayer, but his humility, that he could have read it because he's so holy that he was humble and said, I'm not going to read it because he didn't want to read it. And he said, this, but even that action was enough, but the other person was holy as well, was to help the, per the, the demon to come out of the person. So we're going to read more. It says here, by the prayers and tears of the fathers, 
the intercession of the priests and the power of the Holy Sacrament, the miracle came to pass. The terrible occupant withdrew from Ilarion. The fearful experience was over, but a good lesson had been given to the proud monk. Beneficial fathers also. Everyone had learned something. That's why when I tell you examples of people, don't think that I'm putting those people down or I want you to laugh at them or I want you to judge them. It's not. Examples, whether I talk about myself or I talk about other people, is for us to learn from those things. Even Judas we can learn from. What can we learn? What was his catastrophe? Money. The, the money. He was possessed with the demon of money. So therefore, that helps us to say, let us not become like Judas. And remember, Judas had the gifts of the, he, Judas was able to do a lot of the miracles that all the apostles did. And that gives us a lesson for priests, that we don't become a Judas and become greedy for money. Uh, even Father Neophytos, the disciple of Father Ignatius, had profited by this experience. Before he got better, while he was guarding the possessed monk before the unction service, knowing there must have been a definite reason for God to have sent him such a punishment, he asked. Now, Father Neophytos asks the demon. Right? Remember that Father Neophytos was a spiritual child of Father Ignatius. Not my spiritual child, not someone like an ordinary priest. This is a holy person. And he spoke, we don't speak to demons. Even St. Paul, when, they, when he went somewhere and then the demon-possessed girl was there and, they're going, and she was shouting out and going, listen to these men, they're, they're, they're from God and things like that. And St. Paul said, quiet, stop. But she was saying the truth. The, the demon speaking through her was saying the truth. Why did St. Paul tell her to, to be quiet? Because he doesn't want him to speak at all. Because she was saying, he, the demon was saying the truth through the girl about them and make people get confident. Then later on, he'll say a lie. And people say, well, if he said the truth in the first place, it must mean that the second thing he said was true. And people get confused. So St. Paul said, be quiet. So people can learn. But anyway, in this environment, this was all monks and, and, this, and, and um, no lay people around who listened to everything and mixed everything up. And he said to him, evil demon, why did you enter Ilarion? And he said, come, you are going to, you're going above yourself, answered the demon. Do you think that I will tell you why I entered him? Meaning that the demon does not like to expose his tricks. He likes everything hidden. So he says, you know, who do you think you are? I'm not going to tell you. I command you in the name of the Holy Trinity to tell me the reason. And the demon said, huh, how dare you put me on, on an oath? An oath. Who are you? You're not even a priest. I entered into him because, so he was, he was bound by God to say it. As I said, these things are exceptions. He was bound by God and he was forced to say the truth. And he said, because he was proud. Again, I command you in the name of the Holy Trinity, said the uh, monk, Father uh, Norfagos. Tell me, what is a proud man? 
Now, this is very, very, uh, uh, this part is very, very good for us to learn. Pressured by the command, against his will, the demon made a remarkable confession. What is a proud man? Do we know? Does anyone, uh, uh, as I said, this is exceptional. Sometimes the saints did do these things, but exceptional. But when you see ordinary parish priests doing it, then no. Thanks God I never saw any of these. I, I didn't experience these things. I, when I did read some people, they just had influence. They weren't possessed. Like they weren't in the body, as we say. But I would never read anyone like that again. Uh, so, what is a proud man? This is what, says the demon. One who in the 24 hours of the day never, even once, sets his mind that he is a sinner. He is, and then it says that he let out this screech, that he is, and screamed out proud. Proud, a scream with all his, with, in a really demonic way. Because he loved it. That, that, that's what they love. Let's look at that. One who in the 24 hours of the day, in other words, someone who never thinks about their sins, someone who never feels that they're sinful. When someone comes to confession to a priest and he doesn't have really a feeling of his sins, but he just says sins. I did this, I did that, whatever, a few things. But it doesn't come from within that they feel that they're sinful. That person's proud. We should always feel the heaviness of our sins and we also should feel what's going to happen to us, how we're going to give word, which I'm going to come to now. So that's the last words. He shrieked in a high voice. He is proud. These words rang for a long time in the ears of Father Neophytos. My God, he said from, um, he said from time to time, save me from, from pride. He never forgot what the demon had taught him. The Lord resists the proud, and that's mentioned three times in the Bible. Proverbs, James' epistle, and St. Peter, where it's quoted. God resists the proud. God, using a word, even though God doesn't despise, but it's like God does not, cannot go near a proud person. Why? Because he, the person won't let him in. How does God come into our souls? when we feel that we're sinful. The latter, St. John of the latter, emphasises pride is the adversary of God. Pride is the enemy of God. We have been told this many times and it was confirmed by the suffering of the proud Ilarian who had expected to receive glory by carrying up two extra boards but it ended by being humiliated. But it was a lesson. Everything, even when we fall into a sin, don't fall into despair. Take it as a lesson. Say, look, I fell because I'm proud. I wasn't careful. I shouldn't have gone there. I shouldn't have turned the computer on when there was no one home. I shouldn't have gone to that party. Like once someone said to me, they went to an office party, a married person. Well, why would you go to office parties? Drank a bit? 
flirting and things like that. That's how people fall into adultery. Don't go. It's as simple as that. How do you go? Someone just asked me a question before. They said, someone said, is it a sin to go to a bar if you're not drinking? That's what they said. They asked, someone asked this person, is it a sin to go to a bar without drinking? I don't know. Soon I'm going to be asked, is it a sin to go to King's Cross if I've got dark glasses on? <laughs> Whoever asked that question, it's silly. Not the person that came, the other person who asked that, is it a sin? Even if you don't drink, after a while you will drink. But even if you don't drink, because you've got an allergic an allergy to it, say, uh, then you're with people who are drunk, people who drink, people who swear, people who say filthy things, people who flirt with each other, etc., etc., etc. Well, you know, I don't understand some people um, silly. Now, we go to something quickly, and this is what I'm going to read to you are from Orthodox services. This is what they read in the monasteries every day. And really, it should be read in the churches back in, the, back in ancient days. A lot of the churches would read the complete services just like monastics do. Now we don't get much of that. But at least read your night prayers. Read your morning prayers. Read akathists. Get books in English of the services uh, so you can understand them. So that we can enter into the spirit of the church to know how should we think. How should we feel? And I, and I picked a few out. One says, sigh and shed tears, O my lowly soul. So this is like a poetry because a lot of the traparia are read in a poetic way. And it says that this person who wrote it, and this is how we should be praying, as if we're talking to our soul, and say, sigh and shed tears, O my lowly soul, and cry out to the Lord saying, I have sinned against you, O master. Cleanse me, O compassionate one, at the prayers of your all-wise apostles, for example. And that's how our soul should be, our soul. It's like our soul is crying out to God and, and, uh, and asking God and saying, I've sinned, forgive me. Alas, O my wretched and lowly soul, sinning often and angering God, how can you ask forgiveness for the wickedness since you do not cease to do it? A lot of times we will notice as Orthodox Christians as we're struggling that sometimes we even do sins on purpose that we are not really making an effort. And these are saints that wrote these things. So the saints as well will experience that. How else were they able to explain all these things? Neither repentance nor tears have I acquired. This is what we should say. I haven't got proper repentance. I don't even have proper tears. Wherefore, I beg you, O Christ God, convert me before the end, in other words, of my life, and grant me repentance that I might be delivered from tortures. A Christian Orthodox person has to think about hell. But the devil doesn't want us to think about hell. But as long as you don't get hopeless, that's why it says, convert me before the end, grant me repentance, and deliver me from tortures. Condemn us not who have sinned greatly against thee, but in your constant mercy have pity on us, O Master. God is constantly giving us forgiveness. God constantly shows us mercy. God constantly is helping us to be able to die in a repentant way and be saved. But we have to acknowledge those sins. Condemn us not with the prayer. The next prayer. I who have sinned beyond measure look upon your immeasurable mercy. 
I know your loving kindness. I know thy long suffering and forbearance. Grant me the fruits of repentance, O compassionate Christ, and save me. So the person who's leading a spiritual life must feel, as time goes on, that they got so many sins and that they, they can't be saved. That's it. They can't be saved. Only because of God's mercy will we be saved. And that's where we're asking God, grant me fruits of repentance. In other words, grant me not just to repent, but sh to show my repentance. If I stole, give it back. If I'm doing something bad, help me to cut off from that. Help me to do good deeds. Show fruits of repentance. Not just go and confess like a robot and then that's it. We're going to do more about fruits of repentance in another talk. My time is coming to an end, O my soul. That's, that, that's how the saints think. I remember when I went to Mount Athos and spoke to some beautiful souls and they would say to me, um, am I going to be saved? How do I know I'm going to be? And you might say, oh, he's only saying that to help you. No, they mean it. My departure is at hand. I'm coming to an end, in other words. Wherefore, show forth fruits of repentance before the doors are closed to you and cry out unto Christ, save me, O Lord. These are in your prayers, a lot of morning prayers, night prayers, like and a lot of times we read them, but they're not registering. From hell, from the gnashing of teeth, from every other eternal punishment, do you deliver my lowly soul, O good Lord. Don't put me in hell where there'll be the fire and the gnashing of the teeth and things like that, which is all horrible and eternal. O good Lord, that with faith I may him the merciful God who by nature loveth mankind. But you're a loving God. You're a forgiving God. So yes, we're saying, deliver me from hell. But at the same time, we're saying, because you're merciful, because you've got love. You don't want anyone to go to hell. The Creator cometh to judge all the earth, and as one unprepared wretch that I am, I'm utterly terrified, considering all the evils that I've done. O long-suffering Lord, have pity and save me through the divine prayers of thy venerable Nicholas. So here... And the performance of we, we, we pray to the saints to help us in salvation, to help us to repent. We pray to our guardian angel, we pray to the apostles, we pray to our favourite saints, saints that we just read, our saint that we're named after. And the next one, I've passed the measure of my life, I've passed the time of my life in slothfulness and have drawn near to the end, wretch that I am. So even the saints felt that they were slothful, that they could have done more. And that's how we should always feel. Well, aren't we, you know, we should always say, I'm not struggling properly. And we should feel that. And a person who's leading a spiritual life will feel that. I, I give no thought to the judgment which awaiteth me, nor to my falling away from God. That's one of the most horrible things, that we don't even think about God's judgment at the end. And that we don't think about the fact that we are fallen away from God because of our sins. And then the saint writes here, but turn in me, O Saviour, rescue me therefrom. So if we feel that we're unrepentant, if we feel that we don't even think about the last judgment, we don't feel about, we don't care about our death, we're not scared, that should unsettle us. Say, so why don't I feel like that? That's wrong. And that's where you pray and say, God, please grant me repentance before my end. So that was two little pages of what I've put together for you. It's important to read the services.
it's important to read the morning prayers. And that's in, the, in that red book at the beginning. It's the Russian book, the Greek prayer books. A lot of times they only have a little bit of night prayers and things like that. But the Russian book has a, a, quite a few pages of night prayers and quite a few pages of morning prayers. By doing the prayers, one learns how to think, how to feel, what should be one's attitude in spiritual life. You can't just come into spiritual life and pray in your own words. That comes later. Because how do you know what to pray? How do you know what you're praying is correct? I know someone that said, Lord Jesus Christ, pray for me. What's wrong with that? We don't ask Christ to pray for us. Who is he going to pray to when he's God? See, And when you read the prayers, you'll notice that it never says that. That's where you learn how to pray, by doing prayers. This is a, a Western saint, but an Orthodox saint, Saint Friados. And he had a disciple which was a deacon. This was around the 6th century. That's, yeah. Each had his own cell apart from the other and they promised not to leave their place of struggle. Just like Elder Joseph of Elder Asenios in Manathos, Elder Joseph was there, Elder Asenios... They live separate so they won't talk and be tempted to talk. That's, that's how ascetics live. Um, that's why they're called recluses. They live on their own. Later on, of course, others came. Each had their own and they promised that they would never leave their place of struggle. Just like when people get married. They make a promise that they're not going to leave their marriage. But people do. People leave their... and. And they think that, oh, well, if I leave, then things will get better. But a lot of times it doesn't get better, it gets worse. A woman said to me once, oh, my husband is just so difficult and, I don't know, there's all different temptations they have, you know, he's slack or he's this or he's that. And I said to her, yes, and, um, well, you know, I, I just wish I could leave. And I said, yes, and then what? Well, I'll leave on my own and go, and so you're throwing away the cross that God's given you. God's given you that cross. That's your cross. Through him, you're going to become spiritual. Because by having him as your husband, you, that's going to teach you how to pray. It's going to teach you how to forgive. It's going to teach you how to have faith in God, how to endure, how to be patient. It will also show you your lack of love that you don't love him because if you did, you would pray for him, which a lot of times people don't pray for each other. I said, through him, you become saved. Get rid of him and go and, and live on your own. Then God will give you another cross, which would be 50,000 times worse than the one you've got now. So that's what happens in our spiritual life. The same thing as the ascetics. They make a promise. I'm staying here. As they courageously persevered in prayer, the tempter appeared at night to the deacon. And this time, we haven't had this before, well, the, the rest were, the first one was thoughts, the second example was knocks and voices, the third example, the devil just jumped in the person, the next one now is that the devil took the form of Christ and saying to him, I am Christ to whom you pray every day, Already you are holy and your name is written in the book of life with those of my other saints. So go out from this island and perform healings among the people. Now we have a vision. 
and it said this is quite a serious temptation. But notice the words. First, the praise, I'm Christ to whom you pray, and you're already written in the book of life. You're already saved. Once he gets him into that pride, then he goes to the next step, which is now go out from the island. You've got to help people. See, St. John of the Ladder says that an ascetic, when he's out in the desert, wherever he is, on his own, the temptations to get him out of there is go and help people. Or why don't you go to a monastery and live with others so you can serve others? What are you doing here? But to the ones in the monasteries, he says, what are you doing here? You know, you can progress more. Why don't you go and live on your own? You see? So wherever you are, there's always going to be these temptations to change your position. Like the married person can say, well, I'm here with my horrible wife or my horrible husband, and if I'm free, I can go to church more. Some women can't even commune because their husbands don't leave them alone, so they can't even, a lot of times, can't even get to communion. One woman said to me, I can't even commune. I remember years ago, and, uh, and I also heard on a tape as well by Panagopoulos, who's a Greek preacher, he was a lay preacher, and he said it there as well, that there are some women who can't even get to communion because there's no abstinence in relations for even for three days. And Panagopoulos said, which I really liked it, and I also use it as well, is he said, make it a theme of your prayer. This is the prayer that you're going to have now. God, calm him down so I can go and commune and pray. And if it happens again, then you pray again and you keep on praying. And if you're missing out, then if you really want to commune, then that will make you pray even more. And maybe the person might get sick for a couple of days. Maybe he might go away for a few days or he just might be all right. So we make parts of our life that's how we learn spiritual people she goes oh if i leave then i can commune wherever i want i go if you commune whenever you want some 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 people have said i can't even pray like my parents don't let me pray some young people or my husband doesn't let me pray or my wife goes crazy when i pray and if i leave then i can pray i go no 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 not it's it, it won't be it won't be valuable the valuable is now when you're at the sink, if you, if you cut no other time, pray while you're at the sink. Three little, like when you're praying from your heart and say, God, help me in this temptation that I'm going through with him or with her or with my parents or whatever. And that can be worth more than a person who's got no temptations and is at home and doing the prayers like the Pharisee in the New Testament. And saying things like, look how good I am, and things like that. So this is where we miss out. The devil always wants to remove us from where we are achieving our salvation. The deacon, taken in by this deception, left the island without saying anything to his companion. Again, the same thing. The other person was his senior. The same thing, kept it a secret. That's what happens. I always tell people, like even married couples, for example, or friends, even friends, don't keep things in you. Tell your, if they're spiritual people, tell your husband or tell your wife or tell your friend what's going on sometimes. 
you know, spiritual father, but also people around you. Because that exposing can actually come out. So say, for example, a wife goes to a husband and says, um, oh, you know, the other day I was in the kitchen and I had a thought that you were praying for me, for example. And the person goes, what time was that? They go, that guy goes, no, I wasn't praying for you. And then the husband might say to her, you know, be careful because you're going to lose yourself. God enlightens each person. God enlightens one friend to tell another friend. God enlightens the husband to tell the wife. The wife is enlightened to tell the husband. The children are enlightened. Sometimes it's for the parents. The parents are enlightened, etc. A lot of times these things happen. But when we cut ourselves off, like, you know, we say here, oh, these are ascetics, they live on their own. But do you know how many people I know that live in the world and actually are cut off from the world? Like, they might even work. Some of them work, but they're cut off. They don't have any contact with anyone. They go to work, but they're just, and they're supposedly spiritual. They don't talk to anyone. They don't talk to their family. They don't talk to their parents. They don't talk, if they're married, they don't even talk to their because they say, oh, no one understands me. I'm, I'm too spiritual for everyone. Woe to those people. They can be in the world and become deceived just like the ascetics. That's why I call them. I know people got ups- they might get upset, but I call those people spiritual freaks. Sorry, orthodox freaks. Because they are leading a life of a freak. Being disconnected. Our spiritual life is, is bound by everyone around us. But the devil says, don't talk to that person, don't talk to your wife, and be all cut off. And that way the person doesn't experience other people's words, good words, bad words. The person might say, hey, you know, you're doing that wrong, whatever. They're just completely disconnected from around them. The ascetics could do that, and even they fell into deception. But in the world, people to live in the world amongst thousands of people and to be completely cut off. There are people that are mentally ill. That's a different issue. I'm not calling them freaks. I'm talking about people that are mentally sane and that are leading these type of deceptive lives. Secret. Sometimes um, people have opened up to me and they've said the most, oh, you know, I did 20 acathists last night. 20? Why do 20? I wanted to do 25, but I got tired. And that's not a joke. That's what he told me. 25 acathists, 20 acathists, or secret fasting. And they're all deceived and they're seeing things and smelling things and hearing things. And like in the middle, you say, well, these things are only for your aesthetics. No, no, they're happening, they're happening in suburbia because people are leading secret lives and not opening up, even to those around them. So this person did the same thing, fell into deception, left the island, didn't say anything. If he said something, the person could have said, where are you going? What are you doing? You promised to stay here. I'm going to go and serve people to help them to come to Christ. That's not your business. Your business is here. You promised to stay here. See what I mean? If you say those type of things, that, that's why we open up to people, especially to our spiritual fathers. The deacon taken by this deception left the island without saying anything to his companion. And even so, as soon as he laid his hand upon the sick in the name of Jesus Christ, they were healed. So he had healing powers. 
But returning to the island after a long time, he went to find his companion and said to him vaingloriously, I left the island and worked many miracles among the people. When Friadus in fear, I think that's how you say his name, it, when the, the, other, the other monk in fear, Friadus, in fear asked him what he meant, he re related simply what he had done. The elder, terror-stricken at this story, cried with sighs and tears and said to him, Woe to us, for as far as I understand, you have been deceived by the tempter. Go and repent in case his tricks win over you, that you lose yourself. Go and repent. Through repentance, things disappear. Repentance and confession. Understanding these words and fearing he would perish, the deacon cast himself at the saint's feet with tears, begging him to intercede for him to God. He said, pray for me. You know, he repented, he was sorry. Go and let us together pray to God for the salvation of your soul. For the Lord readily has mercy on those who confess their faults, since he has said by his prophet, I wish not the death of the sinner, but that he be converted and live. The devil tells us, oh, God doesn't want you anymore. You fell in deception or you did sins. Like that. No, God wants the salvation of everyone. And that's what the saint told him. But we have to repent and confess. But while they were praying, the tempter again appeared under the same, under the same form as he did before to the deacon saying to him, have I not commanded you, because my sheep are sick and are without a shepherd, to go and visit them and heal them? See the beautiful words? Scriptural, spiritual words like, my sheep are sick. The devil said, looking like Christ. He goes, my, my sheep are sick. You have to go and heal them. And he answered, I have found in truth that you are the seducer. You know, you're, you're, you're trying to suck me in, in other words. And... I do not believe that you are God, whose appearance you have falsely taken. Nevertheless, if you are Christ, show me your cross and I will believe in you. See, there's a teaching of the church. The devil cannot do the cross. The devil cannot hold the cross. He cannot make the cross appear. And this is the way a lot of ascetics, they try, which is the next story, which we're not going to have time. We'll do it next time. Uh, and I'll go more into the teachings about that. But the devil can't make the cross appear in your dreams and the devil cannot make the cross appear in his vision, etc. However, in the next talk, you will see that he gets around that. He gets around it. Yet, he said, um, and, and when he would not show it, the deacon made the sign of the cross in his face and he vanished in confusion. Yet he came back with a multitude of demons and struck the deacon with such force that he could scarcely recover. Now this time we're actually seeing a demonic attack, a physical demonic attack, where he was pulverized physically as well. But finally the devil went away and reappeared no more. The deacon lived thereafter in great holiness and died when his time was fulfilled. As for blessed Friatus, he shone with brilliant miracles and died in the year 577. So this time it was a physical attack. Visions and physical attack. Was it physical because he allowed him, he believed in him in the first place? Or? As soon as he appeared and praised him, the devil needs our consent to enter us 
and he consented. He believed that it was a vision and he accepted it. Once he accepts it, then that's when he became deceived. That's why, what's the golden rule? Reject everything. Dreams, visions, everything. Reject everything. And I read the other day, again, I've said this before, from the Holy Fathers that say, there are those who have seen true true um, visions and dreams, etc. They actually did see true ones, but the majority of them fall away later because it gives them pride. doesn't matter if it brings them to the church. Because someone said to me the other day, um, I had a thought to start going to church. I wasn't going to church and I had a thought, go to church, go to church. And then he said that when he went home, he smelt in his room like a fragrance. And then he thought to himself, this must be from God. And he went to the church and from then on he changed and repented. And he said to me, was that from God or was it from the devil or what? And I said to him, firstly, I don't have the discernment to know whether that was from God or not. However, even if it was from God, forget about it. Reject it. Because how many people smell things? How many people have this experience? I said to him, this will give you an opportunity to get proud. Just forget about it. Whether it was the devil, whether it was not, I don't know. And it's not for you to consider. If you repented, you repented because you chose to, to change your life. And these little signs and things like that, leave them for the saints. Or leave them for, if we had Saint Sarah from Sarov here, who had a gift of discernment, we could go and say, you know, Elder Seraphim, Father, tell me, was that from that or was that from that? And he would, from his enlightenment, he would be able to say, do we have these elders? A lot of times we don't have these elders. Or we don't know where they are. So we just reject. I made a little list of examples of where we can try to do something. See, these monks, they went and lived on their own in deception, which is more coming than the next talk. They wanted to go and... Um, oh, actually, that's really the next talk. I didn't really get into it. Um, it's, on the next talk, it's more about those who out of pride said, I want to go and live on my own and be an ascetic. And then I had some examples of where we tried to live beyond. They couldn't do it. That was beyond them. That was beyond their level. And we in the world also try and do things beyond our level. And all it does, it leads us to pride and it's not our level. I can give you some examples like almsgiving. We read in the life of St. Philaret, the almsgiver, that he gave away all his money, everything. And his wife got upset, his kids had no money. I mean, these are, this is an exceptional life. And you see people in their deception, they start giving away all their money and they've got no food for their own children. And I say to them, but you're not St. Philaret the almsgiver. Just give away a percentage of your money, give to the poor, do your missionary work, give to the church, that's it. Just do a certain, like everyone, like people should be doing. Don't do these big things. Another group of people is that want to lead something big, something special. So we have married couples who say, let's not have relations anymore. Let's live like brother and sister like a lot of the saints did. And I, and I say to them, sorry, but are you a saint? And especially in this day and age where there's temptations everywhere, couples need to be able 
to go to each other in these temptations that exist today. It's really bad now. With posters everywhere and stuff everywhere and there's just so much temptation and, this per- and then you wonder why when these people come up to you it looks like their heads are like a pressure cooker. It's like they're going to explode from all the temptations that they're going through. And they say, oh, but you know, this." St. Paul says, do not deprive one another except with permission from each other for a time that you may give yourselves to prayer and fasting. That's what we've got Wednesdays and Fridays and certain times of the year. But both have to agree. If one doesn't agree, the other person can't force the other person. That you may give yourselves for prayer and fasting and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control, because of your weakness that you might be tempted and go and fall with someone else. St. John Chrysostom criticises women who abstain without the consent of their husbands. They don't allow their husbands. And they say the devil inspires women to abstain for reasons of faith, supposedly for religious reasons. His purpose is to guide her husband to adultery. St. John of Damascus adds women are responsible for their husbands committing adultery. These are great, great saints. St. John John of the Latter says clearly, some people have not got a sexual inclination, even some men. And what they do is they try to make out that they're holy because they say, oh, I don't need to have any of that. But that's not holiness because you don't feel like it in the first place. When it's spiritual is when you feel like it and then you don't do it and you're struggling. And that should only be done by those who are at a very high spiritual level. St. Paul doesn't like it. St. John Chrysostom doesn't like it. There are canons which anathematizes, cuts off from the church women who hate marital relationships or they want to abstain from it for ascetical reasons. Oh, this is in talk number 12, etc., 13. Now, we know that some people want to fast more. We've said all this before. They want to do a lot of prayer more than normal. They want to fast on Monday. Some even get to the stage, and I've met so many, they go, I don't eat meat. I don't eat meat. Some they're so deceived. Some say, when I eat meat, I feel that I become uh, fleshly and I feel that I get sexual temptations and this and that. Just deception. They don't eat meat. So in other words, everyone else eats meat. So many people, except for some vegetarians, which look like they have skin and bone. Some people don't. But in general, people eat meat. But all of a sudden, this person says, I don't eat meat. One person years ago came to me and gave me this story. Oh, I was so, it was very, very sad. And he said to me, oh, Father, I don't eat meat. So you can tell even the way he introduces the thing that, you know, he wants me to say, wow. Oh, wow, really? I'm so impressed. He goes, I don't eat meat. I go, okay. And he goes, and he's talking about all these things. And then he said that um, he got mentally ill. And I said to him, when did that happen? And he said to me, oh, that was in, I just make, I think it was, that was in 1997. I said, okay. And when did you stop eating meat and do a lot of fasting? He goes, uh, 1997. Okay. So what happened was that he became so, so, um, what's the word, just so, suddenly mental, so he's in Greek, but I don't know how to say it in English, so, um, Greek, hmm? 
exhausted and and it, be, it began to play on his brain and then the demons came because he had full of pride and they gave, oh, I don't know, the whole thing was a whole mess. He had mental problems and demonic problems, etc., etc., and he just lost himself and just went like crazy. And I've seen so many of those people. And later on, they can't lead spiritual lives because they are so, being so crushed from their temptations that a lot of times they can't pick themselves up unless they repent. The first thing I say to people like that is, you, you, I want you to study in me. But, but I said, you've got to study in me. I don't want you to fast on Mondays. And even during the Lent, I don't want you to fast a lot because you get proud. That's why there was a spiritual father, we read in the Holy Fathers, that a spiritual father had a monk who was proud that he didn't eat meat. So he said to the monk, "Go, I want you to go into the town to the fountain there in front of everyone I want you to eat meat and it was Great Friday and he did that on purpose to take out the demon from him which was possessing him with this pride so there's that as well then we've got confessors of the faith people who think that God has given them this special grace to correct the church to correct the faults in the church uh, that they're against ecumenism against heresy and they believe that they've got some gift which is way beyond them they go oh but the saints used to do it but you're not a saint can't you understand that the saints that were doing these things were humble they were full of love yes they confessed the faith but they were so beautiful humble meek spiritual people and they confessed the faith but these people, as we read last month, I went through a lot of examples of people who were deceived. And they were howling and things like that. Some of you weren't here, but that's what happened. One woman continually rings me up. And she's got an obsession about the Russian church. She's Greek. And she says, I noticed that they eat fish. They have oil on that day. They don't have this. And the writer says this and this and that. And I just say, look, whoa. Just stop. It's just too much. Take care of your son who's, gonna, who's, who's in a few months going to go to court for being a, a cocaine dealer. Worry about that. And don't worry about the, um, that the Russian church has fish or that's oil and which has oil. Which are, it's because there are some differences in the church. There's some practices that have come in. There's been some influences maybe from the Western church. But, you know, but the thing is that these people are not the ones who are going to correct it. Even in the Greek church, there's some things that you shouldn't fast that day, and then there's others say, but St. Nicodemus says you don't, you shouldn't, that day is not a fast, and that day is a fast. There is some confusion. But let's wait for some holy person to come along and fix it up, but not you. I had a, a man when I was a lay person. I was a lay person. And I used to see him at church. He was obsessed about new calendar, that the new calendar's bad, and that ecumenism and ecumenisms, and he had this, this ooh, he was like an OCD thing when he used to see priests with the white collars. And he goes, what, dog collars, they're wearing dog collars. It just goes on and on and on and on and on and on. So one day I went to his place for a visit. I don't know why I went, but maybe it was Providence. And I went to the house and I noticed his kids were really frightened looking. His wife was on the couch, she didn't speak. 
much with bruises all over her. And I said, where's your husband? Oh, he's in there. He had made a little chapel. He made a whole room full of icons in a little chapel. The only thing that was missing was a laminate on his door saying, Orthodox freak. Anyway, so, <laughs> not that it's bad to have rooms dedicated. That's okay. And he said to me, he expressed to me a, a fantasy. Go, why is he expressing to me a fantasy? His fantasy is that he wants to get a woman and bash her and bash her and bash her and bash her. And this was, this was an orthodox person who communed every week, confessed frequently, had a room with all icons, etc., etc. And um, that's what he and, he... and of course, he used to fulfil his fantasy on his wife. And he had no problems and he was even praying after. But he was anti-ecumenist, anti-new calendar, uh, anti-collars, white collars. And um, now, is that, would you, would you get offended if I called him an orthodox freak? I don't think so. So someone found out about it and sent via the mail a brochure from the um, social security, from social, or some, I think it was Centrelink or something. We talk about women, women and being abused and all that. And um, in, in their language, I won't say what language it was, but it was in their language. And um, she left him. But, you know, she endured with him for so many years. But, I mean, how long can you go for until, you, until you're killed? I mean, obviously this person was truly possessed. But yet, someone could say, oh, he's so pious. That's um, another example, and I think we're finished. There's a lot of other examples we'll go through next time. Uh, okay, any last questions? Now you know why I use that expression. Any questions? Yes. They say that people get healed, and what I say to that is that, look, I'm not going to say absolutely that what they're doing is completely worth because I don't know. I know that it's, it's not exactly the same as ours. I know that. And one of the main things is that the priest, whichever priest does those things, gets attacked badly. And they don't report that at all. Whether it's a deception or not, but doesn't. Look, God enlightens and helps people everywhere. These people don't have the luxury, one can say, as a lot of us do, to have the teachings of the Orthodox Church. They don't know any of these things. And either do Muslims and either do a lot of other people from all other around the world. They just don't have that access. They don't know about Orthodoxy, they don't think. God still helps these people, even in psychology, whether it's psychology or whether it's everywhere people with good dispositions they do get some help if someone goes to a catholic priest 
and really is sincere and wants to get help, perhaps they do get help. It doesn't, I don't know, does it mean that they help them? Or was it the humility of the person going? He doesn't know about Orthodox priests. He doesn't know about anything. All he knows is that. You know, they've repented, they're sorry. We don't know how God works. We know that God does miracles for Muslims. He does miracles for Buddhists. He helps everyone. It doesn't mean they're going to be saved. I don't even know if I'm going to be saved. What's important is we have the church, the Orthodox Church. We know, that's what the saints say, we know the truth. If we reject it, we're going to hell for sure. As for them, we don't know. But I do believe, and I've read it as well, that God gives help to everyone everywhere in his way. He's trying to bring everyone to salvation. And how he does it, I don't know. But we'll be surprised on the last day when we're judged. We'll be surprised who will be in hell and who will be in heaven. Does it mean I'm saying they're going to be saved? I don't know. But St. Paul says that they will be judged according to their conscience, which means that if they're judged according to their conscience, that there is a judgment for them as well according to what they know, how much they know, how much they're going against their conscience. If, some, if their conscience tell them that they shouldn't cheat on their wife, if they're Protestants or Catholic or whatever, or, or Buddhist or whatever, that's what their conscience tell them, don't do it, and they do it, they're going against their conscience and they'll be judged according to their conscience. We have it clearly, we have the teachings. They don't have it clearly. We will be judged more, and that's what we should worry about. And so exactly what happens there, I don't know. I'm suspicious. But the whole thing and the lectures and the priests and the whole thing of what they're talking about, it doesn't gel, as we say. It does not compute with orthodox tradition. And your second question before I ask my yeah, mother there? Elder Porfi- in this book at the back where I read, where, where it was the, the, the devil magic, um, the, the author there writes that Elder Porfirios was very negative against public exorcisms, didn't like them. He really put them down, and as we can see also that Elder Paisios seems to be negative as well about it. And we saw this example that these holy people didn't even read an exorcism, they just did unction. So even though he was possessed and he probably needed exorcisms. But I think Elder Ignatius could have done those prayers and could have made him better to protect himself to show humility, he got the seven monks together and did a mystery and he became better like that. But there's obviously the mystery helped, but he was also praying and his prayers helped that demon to come out. But he was all humble, you see. While with them, even in Greece and Russia, these public shows are not good and just causes scandals and, and things like that. I've gone to some in my lay days when I was uh, uh, before I was a priest, and I um, don't like it. And I also noticed that some people say that they've got videos of it, and they sit at home, um, and while they're eating like a hamburger or having a drink or some cheesels, whatever, like some of you are going to have now, 
They're actually watching a person who is suffering and these demons. That's like a form of entertainment. And what I tell people is don't do that because you can become possessed, as St. John Chrysostom said. Don't, you know, these things are on the internet. They're here and there. You know, people say, oh, you learn from them, you learn from them. They're dangerous. Even to look at them, they're dangerous. I tell you one little secret. I forced myself with much difficulty to watch so I can know what it's about. The Harry Potter, the first one, which they say was really light. Then I think I tried to watch, I think it was the second or third one, and um, I got this horrible feeling. I had to turn it off. I couldn't get past 10 minutes. People say, oh, it's because you're, you're scared. Or this. No, it was a demonic experience. I felt the same way that I felt when I would sometimes have gone to those places where there was exorcisms taking place, but I also felt some similar experiences to when I read them a few times. There's something there. Those shows that our kids are watching are possessing them. Manoli. Yeah, just on that topic, I remember reading just recently about um, some of the missionary work that's happening in Africa and some of these Africans, obviously, they haven't been exposed to Christianity. And there's really a lot of witchcraft going on in that part of the world, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And one thing, a lot of, the, I guess, they've been fortunate in that there's Orthodox people that have gone there, and, and a lot of these people that have gone, the Orthodox, they are very devout people. They've managed to convert a lot of them to Orthodoxy. But they've also managed to, um, um, I guess... Uh, get involved in situations where people are possessed and through their prayers they have healed people. But so much so to the point that a lot of these natives who really might not have been converted yet, they have a very, very high regard for the Orthodox priests. And they regard the Orthodox priests as very powerful witch doctors. That's just how they view them. Um, The Catholic priests, on the other hand, who have probably been there longer, they don't really have the same esteem. And there was one, one example where a Catholic priest was trying to read prayers over a possessed person and that Catholic priest actually became possessed himself. So among the natives who, who don't know the truth, they have a very high esteem for the Orthodox priests, but not for the Catholics. Or not, not of the same stature, nowhere near. That's very good, um, a very, very good example. And um, We used to have pamphlets, I don't know if we've got any left, on all that stuff, Magic on the Black Continent. And, you know, it says in that pamphlet exactly what you were saying, that these witch doctors and these people, they actually have powers. They can fly through air. They can go from one place to another. They can kill people through their magic. They can make people sick. They can make couples not have sexual relations. They can make people not have children and things like that. And when Father Cosmas, not me, who was a monk of Manothos, he went there to help the Africans to convert them, those witch doctors, those become very agitated and did a lot of um, magic on him to destroy him. And um, he used to fly back on them because of the fact that he was an Orthodox priest, very spiritual person. And yes, he helped a lot of people throw away all their magic. He helped a lot of people to be released from those spells and things like that. That's not a joke. That is truth. And that is... Um, Correct. And there are people even today in Sydney, Melbourne, in America, whatever, in Greece, 
that have got demonic influence on them because they've either been involved in that stuff or someone's done stuff on them. But, you know, it's hard to... Some people think it's magic, but it might be mental illness. It might be some emotional problems. That's why I always tell a person, well, we don't know, unless it's some, something which is obvious. In general, we don't know. Start leading a spiritual life and it will start coming out if it's that or not. Some people say that every time they go to church, they get better and this, you know, there's all these things. But exactly what it is, that's why I say, go go to a priest, get prayers, prayers run, get an unction done, get a maleben done, like a baraklesis, uh, start fasting a bit, start praying, and it will come out. It will start to show what it is, whether it's a spiritual, whether it's mental. It's hard to distinguish. In what Manolio was saying about Africa, that was obvious because there was people dying and people getting sick and they're really over there very heavy into it because they're pagan. They, those Africans led pagan lives. Is there any other questions so we can end? Yes, Kenya. The prayers are in the prayer book. There is a prayer, even in the Russian book, the prayer of St. Basil the Great and St. John Chrysostom, etc. My experience is that in the Russian church, they're not really familiar with those type of things. Um, Greeks are more familiar with them, I think, because we had the Turks and a lot of Greeks got influence from the Turks and were magic and gypsies and evil eyes and stuff like that. So the Greeks are more uh, experienced and aware of these demonic things. They do, they do exist, but um, it would be best not to read them on a person because as soon as you do, you open up a warfare and um, they will get attacked on their kids, on their wife, on their whatever. If it's a monk, then his monastery can get attacked and uh, one has to be spiritually progressed. And even in the old days, when there was... You know, when, when we baptise children, the priest does exorcisms. In the old days, they used to actually uh, have specific priests, holy priests, who would do the exorcisms, not just ordinary priests, specific priests that would do with the exorcisms. And sometimes they had to do it once or twice. They had to really feel it, really struggle, because they were very, very... Thing. Of course, now, all the priests do those exorcisms. I think God protects a lot of times. But the other ones, on people that have got these influences, because no one hardly does it, it's like you're exceptional. It's like, oh, you're special, you're doing them. So it's better just to go the ordinary way and let's do everything else, like the fathers say. I always wondered about that. When I read in Elder Paisios, I was so happy when he said, when people go and get exorcisms done, it's they open up warfare and the demons will attack that person. Remember I told you that story about a person in Melbourne who had demonic problems? And they would go and get her read by these priests, one or two priests down there, continually. Red, red, red. And she was out of it continually. She couldn't walk. She was moaning and groaning continually. She was um, just out of it. And I said to her husband, stop the exorcisms because Elder Paisio said that you are making your wife be tormented more. And plus your wife's not praying, she's not fasting, she's not confessing, she's not commu I mean, she communes all the time, but she's not leading a spiritual life properly. 
and he listened finally and he stopped. And then, as I said last time, I think a few months ago, he rang me up and he says, well, good news. I go, what is it? He goes, she's talking, she's laughing now a bit, she's, we're going out more, she gets out of the house before she couldn't even get out of bed, and, 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 and. And I said, well, what happened? He goes, we stopped the exorcism. I said, well, that's, that's it, isn't it? You're causing problems by doing that. Um, that's it. So it is truly me. Through the prayers of our Holy Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the God of mercy and save us. Amen.